Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Aloha Friday. Happy New Year's Eve Eve as well. It is the Sports Animals on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth, the final show of 2022. We'll again recap some of the big stories of the year and maybe look ahead to the future, which starts, I guess you could say, on Sunday when it starts to be 2023. Got to remember to sign the checks that way and all that good stuff. So we've got a lot to cover today. We'll have some giveaways. Got UH basketball tickets for the final game of this season. And boy, would that be a hot ticket now, especially after last night. So stay tuned for a ticket giveaway coming up a little bit later in the show. A couple of sets of tickets, in fact. Let's start with some headlines. And I wish this was a headline we didn't have to mention. And very rarely do we talk soccer. I mean, we talk the World Cup, of course, and things like that. But the sad news, and you probably have heard about it already, is soccer legend Pele passed away yesterday at 82 years old old. I actually got to watch him play way back when, when he played for the New York Cosmos, and they put together an all-star team. This was back in the 70s. I was a very small child, but uh, still the sad news about Pele passing away due to multiple organ failure. Sad day for the soccer world, sad day for the sports world overall. Yeah, it's always going to be a sad day when you lose a guy who is just so just so instrumental in probably one of the most popular sports in the world, you know, of course, uh, winner of three World Cups, probably one of, probably something we won't see for a very long time, as dominant as the sport has become across the world, and a sad day for sure, uh, as we learned about the passing of Pele. Yeah, I mean, I, maybe not a surprise if you were following his story in recent days and weeks, but still, very sad day. And uh, our thoughts and prayers out to the soccer world and Pele's family, of course. Uh, let's catch another, get another headline on a positive note or a happier note uh, for college football. Now, we got the playoffs starting tomorrow. We know about that. But yesterday in college bowl games, we saw a couple of former local players do pretty well. And we'll start with Oklahoma and their unfortunate loss to Florida State in their bowl game in the Cheez-It Bowl, of course. Dylan Gabriel had a pretty good game last night. Saw the highlights of him rushing for a touchdown. 243 passing yards, passing touchdown. Good game for Dylan Gabriel. He scores. Also, Wayne Talapapa from Washington scores in their bowl game as well as an exciting game as Washington defeated Texas. Uh, and I'm not even sure the name of that bowl game, actually. But they that won was the Alamo bowl. bowl. That was the Alamo Bowl. I don't know how you could forget it. I know. I was, I was looking for the weed eater, cheese it, gate or whatever. Uh, but Washington does win. And Wayne Talapapa with a nice game with over 100 yards rushing. Definitely a more exciting game for the Washington Huskies as Kalen DeBoer, uh, you know, former Fresno State head coach couple just last year, right. gets a, his first 10-win season as a Washington Husky head coach pretty quickly. 
uh, a rough day for Oklahoma fans, especially for the ones you know who've only been fans for, who've only been fans of the team since I've been alive. It's their <laughs> first losing season of my lifetime. Wow! For the Oklahoma Sooners, their first losing season since 1998. That's incredible when you think about it. I didn't realize that. I didn't put that part together. This is the team that was in the top ten probably in early October, mid October. Eh. Dylan Gabriel gets hurt. And the fact that they are under five hundred, I, I didn't even put that part together. Well, I don't think uh, I don't think Dylan got hurt. Yeah, he had that one concussion, but that is not why they were bad this year. Defense, were, I would think, right? It was their defense, and also, unfortunately, I'm not I'm not gonna try to pander here. Dylan Gabriel also didn't play as well as the Oklahoma Sooners would want him to play, and I wouldn't be surprised next year if. His season gets cut short due to five-star Jackson Arnold being behind him. Wow, that's that's going to be a story to follow. So he's an incoming freshman, obviously, the five-star. Yeah, so it's going to be a story to come, especially as Brett Venables, you know, especially after a disappointing first year, he's got to show the fans that there's something exciting coming up. I want to even be too surprised if we hear some portal news about Dylan or something, just with how just disappointing the season was. For the Oklahoma Sooners. That is something. When you think about the beginning of the season, and I know they were ranked in the top ten for a while, and I remember bringing it up with different college guests, and the talk died down quickly. And Even the people I did ask at the time downplay that maybe Dylan Gabriel would be a, maybe a Heisman finalist. The numbers he put up in the first three, four, five games of the season were pretty exceptional. I know he got hurt. I thought he missed more than a game or so. I guess not. But when he did come back, I guess the point you're making is that his numbers and his performance wasn't that great. It was okay. But, again, the defense all year long, perfectly fitting for the Big 12 to have a team let up, you know, 35, 40 points a game, and they did that fairly often. Yeah, and, you know, I think what people wanted to see was that Dark Horse Heisman candidate that they were expecting from UCF I think what everyone wanted out of Dylan Gabriel's career was that of Mackenzie Milton's you know three-star Adam Mililani you know you don't know too much about him but he's this kid from from Hawaii and you want to see him do well and in his freshman year he did pretty okay and you're like okay he could develop into something nice but I think just as the years go on he's just kind of stagnated especially when it comes to about halfway through the season where you're like, okay, so he's just going to be throwing for around 200 yards and maybe a touchdown or two. Uh, when you look at Oklahoma, their strength this year was the running game. Uh, and as the years go on, their defense is only going to get stronger and stronger as Brent Venables, the defensive-minded head coach and also lead recruiter, as he is one of the best recruiters in the nation. I wouldn't be surprised to see Oklahoma just kind of become one of those old school run the ball out and have an exceptional quarterback that can throw it whenever you need it. You, I, when I look at some of the scores for uh, Oklahoma, and it was, I guess it was only the first three games where they were really excelling, and Dylan had great games. Their offense was clicking. I'm just going to mention their defensive numbers, starting with the September 24th loss to Kansas State. They let up 41 points, 55 points, 49 points, 42 points. That was a four-game stretch for them, and that's when it showed that uh, this team is not going in the right direction. It was a three-game losing streak. They actually won the fourth game over Kansas, 52-42, to but their defense was really suspect, to say the least, all season long. And again, the six and seven mark, I, I didn't put that part together. It's incredible that a team that started off with such high hopes fell apart the way they did. They lost, I'm trying to get it here, uh, four, out of five, four out of their last five games. 
And the, at least one of the wins, that only win in that stretch was against Oklahoma State, which is a rivalry game. They beat them 28-13, but disappointing there. Back to Washington for a second. We'll have Chris Fanini from The Athletic joining us at the bottom of the hour. He was talking about Kalen DeBoer and the 11 win. Michael Penick coming back, the transfer from Indiana. They're going to be one of the top teams in the Pac-12 next year. They have a lot to look forward to. Wayne Talapop, I think, finally will use up his college eligibility. But he did go out with a bang yesterday, as I said, one rushing touchdown and had over 100 yards, uh, over, over 100 for the Huskies. Yeah, Wayne Talapapa has had performances like this scattered around this year, so I'm not very surprised that he did well, you know, former Punahou graduate. Always got to call him out when yes. he can. But Michael Penix, 32-54, 287, two touchdowns at a pick. I think when you are stepping into next year, especially with as great as an offensive mind as Caleb DeBar is, you got to be expecting Michael Penix to be kind of near the front of this Heisman race because when you remember kind of near the beginning of the year or halfway through the year, Michael Penix was seen as a really viable dark horse for this Heisman uh, for Heisman candidacy, especially after they, they had a bunch of really great wins. And until that loss to UCLA, it really started to feel like, hey, this kid from Indiana is not that bad. But... I think with another offseason under his belt, him and the Washington Huskies have a lot to look forward to. But it's going to be a tough race in the Pac-12 next year when you consider all the people returning, all the people incoming. I think it's going to be a fun year for the Pac-12, and that might be sneakily one of the more fun conferences to pay attention to in 2023. Yeah, Caleb Williams, of course, back, and a couple of other. Jaden Delora will be back with Arizona State, so a lot of good quarterback coming back in the Pac-12. Our third headline for today, the last show at least for 2022, is basketball. University of Hawaii basketball. First, the Rainbow Wahine take care of UC Davis on the road, 70-62. to This was a game where they started off kind of slow and really had a good stretch going in the second quarter and the second half, uh, outscoring Davis in the second half, 38-27. And this is the team in Davis. That has won five of the last seven Big West titles. The only two they didn't win was last year in 2016 when Hawaii won it. So important win to get that on the road against a pretty good team in UC Davis there. And then, of course, for the men. Last night at home, many of you were either there because we had the largest crowd of the season at home and over 4,000. And, of course, listening on ESPN, Honolulu watching on Spectrum. Hawaii with a nice second half, 49 points after only getting 25 in the first half and an impressive 74-66 over Davis and off to a 1-0 start in Big West play. And if there's one player to really highlight, it's the guy that did it all in the second half. Uh, Javon McClanahan, after sitting out much of the first half due to foul trouble, didn't even get a shot up in the first right. half. Not even a free throw. I mean, Hawaii didn't sh even shoot a free throw in the first half, by the right. way. Which is really surprising when you look at that game and how many fouls were called. They made up how, for it in the how, second half, though. Yeah, especially how tight it was called. Javon McClanahan comes out, shoots 7 of 10, perfect 3 from 3 from 3, 6 of 9 from the free throw line to score 23 points in the second half to kind of help push Hawaii back into that lead where... I think in both halves, UC Davis started out with 7-0 runs to make it feel a little bit dramatic. But I, when you look at this team, you didn't see a big scoring night from either Kamaka Hepa or Noel Coleman. Oh. And the two people that really, the th I guess the three guys that stepped up the most, we talked about one of them, Javon McClanahan. Bernardo Da Silva has been looking really good as of late as he shoots a perfect four from four from the free throw line. 
as well as backup Justice Jackson, who with the fresh cut, uh, apparently very fresh cut, as Josh Pacheco said, as Josh and Derek had said, you know, in warm-ups he had his hair down, and when the game started, he came out with a fresh buzz cut, scored 12 as well as a buzzer beater to end the first half from three. So a really great night from guys I think you wouldn't really expect coming into the season will be having great offensive nights for the Rainbow Warriors. We miss Chris Hart, who is not here today. And if he were here, I think he would put that together and say a buzz cut and a buzzer beater for Justice Jackson because he had both yesterday. And that one at halftime reminded me a little bit of Sunday's buzzer beater to win the game, sort of a buzzer beater by McClanahan. Hawaii shot 22 free throws in the second half. You're right, none in the first half. They were trailing 37-32 few minutes into the second half, actually about six, seven minutes into the half, and then they went on a 22-9 run to take the eight-point lead, 54-46. Uh, it was a really great run, and J- Jovan McClanahan was responsible for a lot of that. He and Justice Jackson, they were both hitting jump shots, layups, three-pointers, and they were basically behind that 22-9 run. And for Jackson, a guy who didn't really play much in Sunday's game, only four and a half minutes or so, and for him to have the game he had last night, I didn't even recognize him at first. Uh, I mean, I had to look at the jersey number for a second because I thought that was a new player. Uh, not seeing him in the warm-ups, but seeing him when he came on the, in the game, that was a different player, but he had a fantastic game. And McClanahan is on a really nice run last night. It wasn't just the points he scored, although that's a big deal with 23 and a half, but the confidence, the tough shots he was making, the key baskets, he was doing it all for Hawaii. And as you said, Tanner, but you have Noel Coleman struggling again. He had two points with just a couple of minutes left in the game. Ended up with a very quiet uh, seven points, I believe it was, for we get to pull it out here for Noel Coleman. Yeah, seven points, many of them on free throws at the end. Kamaka Hepa in foul trouble, hit a three early, hit a three late, and that was it. But I love the fact that other guys have stepped up. Samuta had a solid game. Also for Hawaii, how about this, 12 block shots. One off the all-time record, Bernardo the Silva with five of them. Their defense was key last night. Really impressive. And it's really easy to talk about offense because you could just look at the box score and say, ooh, look, this guy had a big number and that guy had a small number. But when you look at the box score, you look at the UC Davis's number one guy, Pepper, who was coming in scoring 19 points a game, gets 16 by the end of the game. But I think you mentioned him a little bit. He had a solid night with Samuta Avea with the nine points and the three-pointer. I think Samuta Avea and Noel Coleman, both not having exceptional offensive games, did very well on defense to keep this high-scoring UC Davis team down. Because, let's be real, Hawaii is not going to be the best team in the Big West because of our offense. Our offense you know, comes in spurts. It comes when it gets here. Our number one priority is defense, and we've proven it over the last couple of weeks that we are a defensive team. We, we, um, sorry, I'm just, ooh, we're trying, I'm just trying to pull up the offensive numbers here because I well, you mentioned love Pepper. I'll give you a little help. He was only <laughs> seven of twenty-one, and it was a very quiet sixteen points. He probably hit a good six or seven of them in the last two, three minutes when the game. I mean, it wasn't out of reach because they got it down to I think six. Late in the fourth, uh, late in the second half, but 
Samuta all game long, and especially in the first half, really made him work, and he had a very quiet first half. A, a, a couple of minutes into the second half, Pepper still only had four points, and that was on two of eight shooting, 0 for 4 on three at the first media timeout. So he was really quiet until the end, and I agree with you on Hawaii's defense deserving a ton of credit, especially with what they did with Pepper. Right, and as you look at UC Davis, they only shoot 40% from the field. Hawaii shoots 49%. And, you know, when you look at their 43% three-point percentage, I'm not sure what that was before the last minute of the game where all of a sudden UC Davis just got red hot from three and they were really trying their best to come back in the end. Hawaii shoots 53% from three, eight for 15. And overall, both teams had having 15 turnovers. I think the thing of note is the second half for Hawaii they only had two turnovers in the second half. And the first one of those turnovers, I remember, was by McClanahan. And I got a note on that because I believe it was in the, it was with 4.30 left in the second half. I even marked it down because that was their 14th turnover. Like you said, only 13. I mean, they had 13, not only at halftime. And that is way too high a number to adjust and make. The numbers go down the way they did in just a half of basketball is incredible. And again, both turnovers late. That was a big key because that was going to hurt them a lot. And Davis had a lot more in the second half. They ended up with 15, as you said. But at halftime, they only had, I believe, seven turnovers. Uh, so they turned the ball over a lot. They 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 average about 16 a game, 15.9. So it was right around their number. But Hawaii only averages about 11 and a half a game. And with 13 at halftime, that was not a good sign. I give them credit for turning that around. We have a lot more UH basketball talk. We'll have Derek Lowe join us in about two hours from now, about 8:20. We've got college football, bowl games are continuing, and of course the big ones, the playoffs start tomorrow. We'll have you covered both semifinals on CBS 1500. Uh, kickoff starting at 11 a.m. with TCU Michigan. We'll focus on Ohio State football in the next hour as well as Bill Rabanowitz, who is a beat writer for Ohio State for the Columbus Dispatch, will join us. Ticket giveaways, we'd love to hear from you with your text and phone calls at 808-296-1420. Back in a minute with the animals here on ESPN Honolulu. Gary Dickman, Tanner Hayworth in the final edition of the Bobby Curran Show with some of the sports animals. The Tanner's a sports animal here on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Chris Fanini from The Athletic will be joining us in a little over 10 minutes from now talking college football. Playoffs are finally here. I guess they'll be finally here in a little over 24 hours. And before we go to the playoff channel, I'm going to give everybody a heads up on what's going on today, specifically on our two stations. Starting in about 40 minutes from now, the very popular, historic, traditional Mayo Bowl. Maryland and NC State, Talia Tongovailoa in action. And that will be on CBS 1500, kickoff at 7 a.m. And then we've got a pretty in interesting double header here on ESPN Honolulu, the Gator Bowl. Notre Dame, South Carolina at 10.30, Tennessee and Clemson at 3 p.m., and those should be pretty good games. And as I mentioned earlier, the playoffs tomorrow kick off at 11 a.m. with TCU Michigan, and that is the Fiesta Bowl. Peach Bowl will have Ohio State, Georgia at 3 o'clock. We'll start tomorrow. I don't want to get too confusing, but Alabama, Kansas State, Sugar Bowl, 7 a.m. on ESPN, Honolulu. Uh, 
one note before we go to the playoffs. That Tennessee-Clemson game, I think, has the makings of a really good game. Now, neither team will have the starting quarterback that they had a month ago, two months ago. And then Hooker is out for Tennessee. And boy, were they on a roll. They were a team that could have been in the playoffs if healthy. That's how good they were. And then you look at Clemson, another team, not so much to hell. DJU didn't play that well down the stretch, and he will not be with the team. But they were a team that was ranked fourth in the first couple of rankings by the playoff committee. One thing I don't like about the transfer portal is that players leave, and they don't even play in the last game of the regular, well, not regular season, season with a bowl game. And I know how the importance of bowl games isn't as much if you're not in the playoffs. Still, that kind of rubs me the wrong way. Now, Ohio State, and we'll get into this next hour, they've got a player who is going to play uh, in the in the playoff game tomorrow. He's a linebacker, and he's still playing the, even though he's in the portal. I like that. Now, he didn't pick a school yet, which is probably the reason. But Tennessee South Tennessee Clemson, I think, should be a pretty good game today. I think what could have made it better was because it is the Capital One Orange Bowl if they just wore their both of their orange uniforms. <laughs> yeah. Make it really fun out there. But like you mentioned for Tennessee, I don't I don't want to necessarily say it was because of injuries why they were out of the playoffs. Even before Hendon Hooker went down with injury, South Carolina was beating them pretty bad in That's that true. Game. That's true. So it was just a matter of them not being able to rebound in a way that you wanted them to. And unfortunately, due to the ACL injury for Hendon Hooker, they could not recover. Uh, you know, instead they go go around and shut out and just destroy Vanderbilt in their season finale, 56 and nothing, I believe. And with Clemson, I think they're kind of glad that DJ Uyunglele went into the transfer portal because a lot of people who followed Clemson this year this season was one question the entire year. When does Cade Klubnick take over, their four-star quarterback? And he, even though that Cade Klubnick is not going to be the main part of Clemson's offense that will go to Will Shipley, their running back, who wears number one, he is their star of that offense. He's going to be the one that makes it go. Clemson's defense is the star of the team. They're going to be the ones to prove whether or not Clemson will be winning this game against Tennessee because even without Hendon Hooker, I believe Milton, their backup and also a starter uh, last year at some points, has proven that he could still, you know, chuck it down the field. So I won't be too surprised if Tennessee does come out with, I don't, I, what is this? They're a four and a half point dog right now. I want to be surprised if they won. I think this is going to be a fun, close game, a great look into the future for Clemson, and hopefully a great. A uh, bow on top of a season that could have been way worse for Tennessee, as they at one point were number one this year. Hopefully, they don't end anything lower than sixth for the Volunteer fans out there. In a quick sidebar, before we talk about continue this, you used the term "chuck it up." Last night, I heard Derek Lowe, it was off the air, I believe, use the same reference talking about a basketball player chucking it up. I haven't heard those references since maybe I was a kid. So nice way to end the year with bringing me back down memory lane with the chuck it up references there. Uh, let's move on to the playoffs, and we'll continue that with Chris Vanini a little bit. To me, I, I, I find it almost comical that people are talking that it will be Georgia, not so much that it will be Georgia in the championship, but that Ohio State 
almost has no chance to win this game. I know their defense was pretty suspect all year, but they still have a very potent team. They have that one loss, and it was a bad loss because they lost decisively at home to Michigan just a few weeks ago. But still, that's a really talented team, and I don't think they're going to win, but I wouldn't be shocked if they win at the same point. I think one thing to note for Ohio State, their leading rusher, Mayan Williams, has been dealing with a really bad stomach bug the last week and a half. He will play, but maybe, I don't know if that's something to look for, look into when you look at Ohio State. You can't just be a one-dimensional offense when you go against a team like Georgia. You have, you have to mix it up. And sure, they have a great uh, room of running backs there at Ohio State. I'm not questioning their talent. What I'm questioning is their consistency. I love C.J. Stroud. He's done a really great job as the leader for that Ohio State Buckeyes team the last two years. So far, you know, this year, 3,300 yards, 37 touchdowns, six picks. It's going to be whether or not he can come out of his own, like, self-made boundaries. There's a lot that C.J. Stroud can do, but he won't. He has an issue when he gets pressured, and he also has an issue of, you know, getting past that line of scrimmage by himself. He doesn't really like to scramble out of the pocket, even though he does have the ability to get out and run for this Ohio State Buckeyes team. And sure, they have a really great room of receivers led by Marvin Harrison Jr. And if you recognize the name, yes, it is the son of Marvin Harrison. I think when you look at this team, if Ohio State wants to beat Georgia, you don't really need to be resting your laurels on defense. You, it's going to be whether or not your offense can mix it up and be consistent with it because this is a very tough Georgia defense led by guys like Nolan Smith, Jalen Carter, Keely Ringo. These are guys that are going to go number in the first round of the draft. It's going to be pretty much it's not, it's not the exact same elite defense that Georgia was last year, but it is very much very, very similar to the ones of last year. This might be, the to me, might be the best offense Georgia goes up against this year. I mean, Ohio State is that potent. Mayan Williams was at practice. Our guest coming up next hour, Bill Rabinowitz, has put a couple of videos, and uh, Ryan Day said he is expected to play Toronto. But you said, like you said a few minutes ago, the injury comes into play. How, how healthy will he be? And I know there's a couple of players bowing out for Ohio State. Still, I, I, it's almost like people aren't giving them a chance. And it's almost the same as Michigan TCU. TCU's not given a chance, mainly because they're TCU. Maybe people aren't realizing what kind of a season they have and what kind of a team they have. But I think so many people are anticipating Michigan-Georgia automatically. And I don't think it'll be easy. I mean, I think it'll be easier said than done for both teams. We have seen blowouts in the playoffs, but I wouldn't count Ohio State out. Ohio State out. Still, they're they're going to have to slow down Stetson Bennett and Georgia, and their defense hasn't done a great job. And can they score on the great Georgia defense? That'll be a key as well. We'll continue to talk with college football. Chris Fedini from the Athletic will be joining us next here on ESPN Honolulu. Gary Dickman here with Tanner Hayward on ESPN Honolulu. We're going to continue with college football as we are joined via the Aloha Kia Hotline. He's a senior writer with The Athletic covering college football. Back with us, Chris Fanini. Chris, great to have you on again in our final show this year. We are finally on the eve of the playoffs after all this time. I'll start off with this. Is there a chance for an upset in either one of these games tomorrow? I do think so. I do think... 
maybe I might feel the most optimistic about an upset for the first time in a while with the playoff. We, we, we often get these blowout games. I think there's a chance, a pretty good chance they could both be close. They, they could also be blowouts, but I do think uh, there, there doesn't, you know, it's not like we have all the most talented teams in the, in the playoffs. So it, it, it feels like it's a bit more wide open. It seems to me like people aren't really giving Ohio State much of a chance. I mean, they've only got that one loss, and it was a bad loss at home to Michigan. I know they've got a few players not in their lineup for the game tomorrow, but still, I mean, they were a really great team all year. Now, offensively, they were clicking. Defensively, they were not exactly clicking. And I know Georgia's got their great defense, but it seems like people are writing Ohio State off already. Yeah, I mean, plus it's Georgia. I mean, of all the teams that have been dominant, Georgia has clearly been the number one team in the country this year. And I think, the, the, you know, the last time we saw Ohio State play, they got punched in the mouth and they didn't handle it well. And that's happened a few times in the last few years. And you know Georgia's going to punch you in the mouth. That, that That's the question. Yes, Ohio State has the talent to score points and potentially stay in this game, but how are they going to handle things when it gets later in the game, when something doesn't go their way, We've seen Ohio State kind of blown out in a few of these situations in the playoffs in recent years. They've had some losses to Clemson. They got blown out by Alabama in the championship game in 2020. And they got blown out in in the second half by Michigan the last two years. So I think that's the big question is when something goes wrong, can Ohio State stand up to it? Ryan Day, it seemed like, is facing a lot of criticism. I guess any time you lose to Michigan and you're an Ohio State coach, it's going to happen. And now it's two years in a row, so I guess even more so. Does he deserve the criticism he's been getting? Yes and no. I, I mean, no, because, look, he's like, what, 45-5 and five or something like that? Like, that's a ridiculously successful record. But yes, because of the nature of the two Michigan losses. I mean, this is a program that had dominated Michigan for – almost two decades until the last few years. And it's not like they lost them close. They lost them uh, running away with, with, with Michigan the last years. They've been out tough, and that has been a problem. Ohio State, you know, has to be the best team in the Big Ten. It has the talent, the resources to do that, and to not even be competitive, very competitive with Michigan uh, the last few years is a problem. And so if Ohio State loses to Georgia in blowout fashion here, then you're kind of facing a – existential crisis of what is Ohio State football. They're, they're not one of the top teams in the country, and then they're not even the top team in the Big Ten. You know, what, what are you at that point? That's where Ohio State is supposed to be. Chris Fedini from The Athletic, senior writer, joining us on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. A great follow on Twitter at Chris Fanini. TCU, Michigan. I mean, I, I know Michigan is a better team, even though TCU is very, very impressive. I wonder if it's a very close game, or let's say Michigan is trailing in the fourth quarter, can they win with their passing game? I know their running game is really, really strong, even with their top running back out. Well, Michigan has been arguably the best second-half team in the country this year. So I, I think both TCU and Michigan, whoever is trailing in the second half, has a chance to come back because both have played very well in the second half this season. And, and that, that really is the big question. Can Michigan pass to win the game? That was the, that was the big question we had going into the Ohio State game. And J.J. McCarthy made enough big plays to make that happen. Some of that was good plays. Some of that was some you know, blown coverages and stuff like that. And TCU's got a really good defensive backfield. They have the uh, Thorpe Award winner, the best defensive back in the country. So uh, that, that is going to be a question. TCU needs to make J.J. McCarthy win through the air. We know he has the physical ability. He just hasn't 
shown it very much this year. Look at some of the other bowl games leading up to this. What bowl game has been the most impressive or the best performances by teams that you have seen so far leading up to the uh, playoffs tomorrow? Well, I just think the Liberty Bowl the other day with Arkansas and Kansas mm. was incredibly fun. I mean, Kansas overcame a 25-point deficit in the second half. That game goes to triple overtime. It was just a lot of fun back and forth, uh, plays coming down to the end. And that's been a theme of bowl season. We've had like 11 or 12 one-score bowl games, I think, so far. Like, it's been a really fun season, and I think people are kind of understanding that bowls are maybe not the most important thing, but there's still something you can have fun with. Definitely. So one other thing that's been fun, and even, even the numbers have increased so much in the last year or two, is the transfer portal. I know you had tweeted about some quarterback transferring schools. What has been the biggest quarterback to change schools so far as the transfer portal opened up recently? I think I look at Devin Leary, the NC State quarterback, going to Kentucky. He's a guy who came into this season, uh, potentially is one of the top quarterbacks in the country, NFL hopes. He gets hurt. Uh, things don't go great. He misses the second half of the season. And now he goes to Kentucky, which is bringing back Liam Cohen as offensive coordinator from the Rams. Cohen's the guy who developed Will Levis into what people believe will be a high NFL draft pick. So I'm very curious to see how Devin Leary is going to look in Kentucky's revamped offense next year. What about uh, Hartman going from the ACC? Well, kind of sticking with the ACC, going to Notre Dame. I thought that was a big pickup for Notre Dame. Yeah, it hasn't been official yet, but that Mm. is the expected landing point for Sam Hartman. And, yeah, I mean, Notre Dame, it's been well known that they've been in the market for a transfer quarterback this year, and that was going to uh, be the case. Um, Buckner got hurt this year. He had a a, a Drew Drew Pyre start and and transfer out. I forgot, I think he might be going to Arizona State maybe. Uh, So, yeah, Notre Dame was always going to be in the mix. And, look, Sam Hartman is – statistically one of the one of the most accomplished quarterbacks in ACC history you know he, he, he's a veteran guy who's been through it all he's been through some injuries uh, can do a lot and I think that's certainly a big pickup presumably for Notre Dame if that's where it ends up happening you also were tweeting uh, maybe it was yesterday I guess but about a quarterback from SMU got really impressed with numbers over 7,000 passing yards in the last two seasons yeah, Tanner Mordecai, he's a former Oklahoma quarterback who was, was behind Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams, ended up transferring to SMU, had had a good solid two years there. And he announced late in the season that he wasn't going to be back. He, he said he was going to go off to the NFL and uh, just kind of move on. But instead, uh, he recently went into the transfer portal, and it sounds like Wisconsin is the favorite to land him. So uh, I think some of these guys, I don't know what the situation is, but some of these guys who who could be late late round NFL draft picks, uh, sometimes they see there's more. It's worth staying in college an extra year for NIL money or for more experience and stuff like that. So I think you're you're, you're seeing more quarterbacks who maybe would typically move on who are instead sticking around. I don't think it was a surprise for SMU. Like I said, they knew it was coming. They've got some good young quarterbacks they're they're moving in into the future with. But yeah, Wisconsin now is two quarterbacks they picked up Mordecai and another quarterback from Oklahoma so they're 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 going to be a really interesting offense next year a lot of quarterback changing teams uh, schools this offseason you also mentioned something I thought was pretty interesting I was reading earlier from your Twitter page about the guaranteed rate bowl and the bowl games are kind of hard to keep track of in a way because there are so many so many different names and a lot of them change names including the guaranteed rate bowl which has had numerous name changes over the years 
Yeah, it's been the Cactus Bowl, the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl, the Insight Bowl. I think it was the first cheese. I think it was the first cheese it Bowl too. So, yeah, just it. it you got to keep up with all these name changes. I mean, this year we have the cheese it Bowl and the cheese it Citrus Bowl. We used to have the Capital One Bowl. Now we have the Capital One Orange Bowl. These things, these the, the sponsors are like shifting bowl games, and so it's kind of sometimes you lose track of which one is which, but. It really is just kind of signifies the bizarre nature of, of college football when you've got uh, these changes or you've got companies you've never heard of that are suddenly hosting bowl games. Like the Bad Boy Mowers Pinstripe Bowl. I, I don't think there are many, you know, lawnmowers for people who are living in New York City. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably a good point. What's the maybe craziest name for a bowl game or craziest sponsor, I guess, that you've ever heard of? You know, we used to have the refrigerator bowl. Uh, you know, we, we we had the Bitcoin bowl one year. Um, I, I think a lot of these tax. We still have the tax player bowl. We got a lot of tax things involved, so it's 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 pretty fun. It is definitely well. Really, will be fun tomorrow when we will do have the playoff championship game coming up on Monday, January 9th. Chris, going to thank you again for joining us all year long. Happy New Year to you and your family, and we'll talk again soon. Hopefully, in twenty twenty three. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, thanks you so much. Chris Vanini from The Athletic, he's a senior writer, joining us here talking college football on ESPN Honolulu via the Aloha Kia hotline. See ya in a Kia, and really getting fired up for these playoff games tomorrow, finally upon us. We'll have a lot more college football talk coming up, Tanner and I, coming up in just a few minutes. The Blood Bank of Hawaii needs 200 donations daily. Can you help? On Oahu, you can make an appointment to donate at Waikele Center, Kapolei Commons, Windward Mall on Young Street or Dillingham Boulevard. Visit bbh.org to schedule your donation. This message is brought to you by Hawaii USA Federal Credit Union and ESPN Honolulu. Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth here on ESPN Honolulu. We welcome your texts and calls, 808-296-1420. Still got a lot to talk about in this last show of the year. I want to talk about, uh, it's coming up at a 7 o'clock hour, I want to start talking a little bit about Tua and a different perspective that I have after seeing something early this morning. Stay tuned for that. Let's talk briefly, Tanner, about last night's Thursday night football game. I almost forgot about that with so much college football and, of course, University of Hawaii basketball starting conference play. I saw one tweet last night that said the Dallas Cowboys basically beat a pickup team tonight because of Tennessee and you used this term yesterday, and we heard this earlier, that maybe they were resting players. I heard that on the Sports Center earlier. That's, I mean, the fact that they would rest players when they're tied for first place with two games left, I find incredible. And it, I don't know if they would have beaten them if 100% healthy, but Tennessee's in a tough position right now. It's incredible to be saying this sentence, but Jacksonville could be the division champs of the AFC South. Well, I'll... Cool your jets on this one real quick. No matter what happens this week, the only game that matters for the Tennessee Titans and the Jacksonville Jaguars, mathematically, there is nothing they could have done this week for next week to not be a must-win game. Even if they beat the Cowboys this week, 
if they lost to the Jaguars last next week, then they're not in the playoffs. There is absolutely nothing they could have done. So, if I'm Mike Vrabel, and I know that, and I know, look, Malik Willis is your is going to be your starting quarterback, not Josh Dobbs. I think we know that. You have a lot of guys that are dealing with injuries, and you're going against a really good, a really physical defense like the Dallas Cowboys, and you think to yourself, well, if this game is inconsequential, why should I play my starters? I think that's actually a smart move by Vrabel Sure, is it a statistic guy move? I'm not really sure. I don't. I hate all the statistics and like how people always label everything as statistics move. Oh, oh, how terrible technology is when they tell us we should go for it on fourth down. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Vrabel actually made the correct choice in not playing much of his starters for this game. Sure, it sucks for the fan experience. I do realize that. However, I want to get to the playoffs. If I win the division, that's a home game. So, fans, sorry about losing to the Dallas Cowboys with a lot of our starters. If we beat the Jacksonville Jaguars next week because we're a little more healthier than they are next week, because let's not forget, the Tennessee Titans have been dealing with the injury bug for a while the last two seasons. I say you take that risk, you get your guys a little bit more healthy, in lieu of week 18 and promise the fans a home game for the playoffs. So you're saying, and, I, and I, you, your beginning of your statement or comment, was if t- Tennessee lost at full strength yesterday and Jacksonville wins against Houston, Jacksonville would have had a one-game lead going into the last week. And regardless of that, it's coming down to the winner of those two teams playing each other, I would assume because Tennessee owns a tiebreaker. Yes. So even though they're a game back and would be a game back, being tied would get them the division title. That I find interesting, but also, if I'm not mistaken, Tennessee could have a chance at a wild card because right now the wild cards are Baltimore, ten and five. You're not counting, the, you're not catching them, and the LA Chargers clinched last week, uh, so you're not catching them either. But that third wild card right now it's Miami at eight and seven. But right behind them, a game back are the Jets, New England, Tennessee going into last night, Pitts and Pittsburgh. So you do have fourteen for the wild card. I don't know how those tiebreakers would work. But it makes sense, again, hearing the term resting from SportsCenter, and again, your reference yesterday, I didn't think that was necessarily the case then, but with the tiebreaker scenario, it makes more sense. I, I don't think it'll, it could come back to haunt them. And again, with the tiebreakers for the wild card, it might have been an impossibility anyway. But we'll see how it works out, which makes Jacksonville, Tennessee next week a must-see game. I'm looking at the schedule, and from what I'm seeing, none of the times have been announced. I guess they'll base it on game importance, keep some games in the prime time. I don't think they even have the Sunday night game but Tennessee will be a Jacksonville I I find it incredible that Jacksonville could win that division and make the playoffs partly because they're Jacksonville secondly they didn't have a good start to the season I think they've won something like five in a row or five out of six now so they're they're a better team that's for sure and Doug Peterson's been a really good coach he's been there and done that Dallas though again that win is big for them they still have an outside shot to catch the Eagles and without Jalen Hurts 
I, I wonder if that'll happen. If Philadelphia beats New Orleans on Sunday, they got the division. They're going to be the wild card team. But the fact that Dallas might be able to catch them has Dallas playing for a lot. I know Tony Pollard was out of last night's game. Still, they were a good team, and they had to hold on because Tennessee didn't go away lightly. And I think what this game brings up a lot of questions for Dallas Cowboys fans, too. Sure, you beat a game against a pickup football team, is what you called them when we came into the segment. It was really close. Like, if this is a team full, you're playing against of backups of a 7-9 and nine football team, it was 10-6 to six at the end of the half, wasn't it? Or 10-3? Yeah, to three, It was 10-6 like at halftime because of the Dak Prescott interception so, right before halftime. A lot of questions, I think, have to be asked. It shows how important Tony Pollard is to this offense. And it's starting to plant seeds of a little bit of doubt for Dak Prescott as he's doing his best Jameis Winston impression over yeah. the last couple of weeks. I think in the last couple of weeks, he's has seven touchdowns and seven interceptions. He's tied for the lead in the NFL for interceptions, and he missed five games this year. Think about that. <laughs> wow. So, look, I think Dak Prescott is still a good quarterback. I would still want him as my starter, but as if these kind of games continue for Dak Prescott... I think Jerry Jones might get a little bit doubtful as the year goes on. Who knows what will happen this offseason. Well, you got a big guarantee there with that new contract he got, so I don't know how easy it would be to unload him. I don't think they'd want to do that. But you're right about the interceptions. One of them, the first one, I believe, was on the deflected pass. Second one, uh, everybody blaming Dak Prescott for that. We will take a break. Get you caught up in traffic. Hopefully it'll be pretty light there today with everybody starting the weekend early. And a lot more football talk, UH basketball talk, and Ohio State football will be the focus in the 7 o'clock hour. Also, UH basketball tickets to give away as well here on ESPN Honolulu. 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Gary Dickman, Tanner Hayworth here with the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN Honolulu. We'd love to hear from you via text or phone call at 808-296-1420. Coming up a little later this hour, a couple of tickets, a pair for tomorrow night's Big West game against for the men's basketball team against Cal Poly. It'll be a 5 p.m. start, it being New Year's Eve, so you'll have plenty of time to enjoy whatever you want to enjoy after the game, which should end right around 7. We'll do a pair this hour and a pair in the 8 o'clock hour as well. Derek Lowe will join us in the 8 o'clock hour, about 8.20, talking UH basketball. Bill Rabanowitz is an Ohio State football beat writer from the Columbus Dispatch. He will join us coming up a little bit later this hour as well. Our headlines start with this as bowl games continue. Yesterday, a couple of games with Hawaii tied. We talked about it earlier. And Dylan Gabriel uh, had a good game for Oklahoma. Oklahoma, though, and I didn't realize it until Tanner brought it up last hour, 6-7 and seven after their loss yesterday in their bowl game. And that I did not see coming. Dylan Gabriel, though, impressive with a nice running touchdown. Passed for over 200 yards as well. Wayne Talapapa for Washington. Seemed like he's been in college for about seven or eight years. Mostly at Virginia, of course. He had a game where they had 108 rushing yards. And Washington wins their 11th game of the season. And uh, Wayne Talapapa with a touchdown and pretty good rushing numbers overall. And look, do I praise Wayne Talapapa because of his great play and his great career that I always remember him from at Punahou? Yes, of course. And is there a little bit of resentment that Dylan Gabriel did leave Punahou for Mililani? Well, maybe there is a little <laughs> bit there. But Dylan Gabriel had an amazing year. I think a lot of people expected a little bit more, 
but he'll have another season, I believe, to prove himself as he came into Oklahoma with two years of eligibility. Hey, it's a first-year head coaching job for Brent Venables as well. I think there's much improvement to be made for Oklahoma, especially as they and Texas look to make that early move to the SEC. By the way, if you want a really fun fact for the bowl record so far for conferences this and I year, do. the SEC right now are 1-3, and, and if you include new members, Texas and Oklahoma, they're 1-5. Wow, and no SEC. I mean, it's, well, you have one SEC team in the playoffs, of course, with Georgia, but no Alabama that we're used to seeing. So, yeah, maybe a little bit. I don't want to say a down year. I guess when Alabama has a down year, and for them it was a down year, even though a lot of teams would kill for those kind of numbers. But it makes the SEC seem like it took a step, not really a step backwards, but just a down year, I guess, is the best way to assess their season, even though Georgia has been incredible. So I'm glad the Hawaii guys at least went out with some touchdowns to end their season. How about Florida State, though? They beat Oklahoma in the Cheez-It Bowl. And in addition to getting a year's supply of cheeses for their team, I hope, and I'm just joking about that, Florida State has 10 wins on the season. 10-3 and for a program that has not had 10 wins, I would imagine, in quite a while. No, so I, I'm, you know, it's great for them. Excited to see what the future has in store for those guys up there. The other headline I want to – well, a couple of headlines I want to get into, of course. The next one is UH Basketball. Rainbow Wahine went on the road yesterday at UC Davis, an impressive win for Laura Beeman and her team. And that game was tied at 49 all, a few minutes into the fourth quarter, and they win going away 70-62. to It's like I think they had a two- or three-point lead with about a little over a minute left in that fourth quarter. So a great way to start Big West Conference play for a team that struggled in the preseason, even though their schedule was tough. It was really important to get that first win, especially on the road. And then, of course, our Rainbow Warriors at home last night against UC Davis, a really nice win and a game that was a little ugly in the first half, but it really became a Hawaii game where they scored 49 points in that second half and route to a 74-66 victory. Jovan McClanahan, once again, the leading scorer, another career high. And I shouldn't say career high, but I heard Josh mention this yesterday too, where people are saying career high for Jovan. It's a career high for Division One Jovan McClanahan at University of Hawaii. He has scored more at his JC. I think it was Sheridan Community College in Wyoming, if I'm not mistaken. Still a great performance by Jovan, and the team looked really impressive offensively and defensively especially in that second half. Yes, great performance, great way to open up Big West play. And we did a lot of talking about the UH men's basketball. I don't want to gloss over a great win for the Rainbow Wahine as well, like you mentioned, 70-62, to very similar scores there. Yeah. But in that first quarter, it was looking a little scary. Um, I think the, the first quarter ended with Hawaii down 23-11, to and – UC Davis was really just coming out, scoring as hot as possible near the back end of that. But as the game went on, Laura Beeman eventually found a eventually found a starting lineup that would work out. <laughs> Laura Beeman went twelve women deep in the game yesterday with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, with eight players scoring and four ten plus. Lily Wahine Kapu finishes the night 17 points, 3 from 5 from the field, perfect from the free throw line, as well as 7 rebounds. Lily Wahine Kapu, probably one of the shorter starters for the Rainbow Wahine, getting yeah. that, those 7 rebounds. And a great game for Callan Spiller, who had herself a double-double, 
with 13 rebounds and 12 points. I think this is going to be a gr- this is a great way to open it up for the Rainbow Wahine in Big West play. Like you said, a slightly I want to say disappointing non-conference opening, uh, non-conference season. The two and seven looks bad, but then you look at their competition. You see yeah. Stanford, you know, former national championship winners a couple years ago. You see uh, Florida Gulf Coast. It's not a name that you know, but they're one of the best mid-major teams in the nation. We had to play them twice, and they just kind of killed us both times. And that, that really battle-tested the Rainbow Wahine to be ready for Big West play. And even though there was that little bit of a rocky start in the beginning, they finished it off strong. So hopefully the Rainbow Wahine take that narrative of this game and have it for the rest of the season with a rocky first quarter start and you just finish it off the end of the year at the top of the Big West, especially when you beat the number two preseason favorites for the Big West women's basketball. You know, one thing, and I'm not 100% sure on this, but I'm looking at the box score, and it looks according to the box score, where Deja Phillips and Olivia Davies both came off the bench. Now, they play 24 minutes and 21 and a half minutes, respectively, but still, the fact that those players didn't start, I wonder if there was more to that. Uh, Melani McBee got the other starting spot, as well as Lily and Kelsey Emaya, of course, as a guard. Callan Spiller, I've been impressed with her since the first time I saw her play, and I believe it was against Portland or Portland State in a tournament last year. Uh, she's been really good as far as the big, the biggest player. Oh, Jackie Davis, really tall as well, but she battles down low. I think she's a good defensive player. You mentioned the 13 rebounds. Also on offense, she can hit three-pointers. She was one of three yesterday. I really am impressed with her game. I wasn't sure if she was coming back after last year, but she is back and a really good player. They will have Cal Poly tomorrow and hopefully able to get a win there. For the men, uh, a great way to start conference play, and I think a few people I talked to, and I mentioned it yesterday as well, hoping that there wouldn't be a letdown after the big emotional high of Sunday's win against SMU in the championship game of the Diamond Head, that that can happen to teams. And in the first half, I did wonder a little if that was taking place, although they were close, and just as Jackson's buzzer beater right before halftime gave them back the halftime lead, still it was a game that I thought could have gone either way, and Hawaii really excelled in the second half. Defense was good again, and the offense really turned it on from 20 with 23 points at halftime to 49 in the second second half that's an incredible accomplishment and only two turnovers in that second half as well yeah I think when you look at last night's game it was a great defensive game for the Rainbow Warriors you saw a lot of really great offensive output from a guy like Jovan McClanahan a guy like Bernardo Silva and Justice Jackson they all they're all showing up when they absolutely needed to as Noel Coleman was having that rough night at least on the offensive side I think it's a great I think it's a great showcase of the Rainbow Warriors and their skills out here, and it shows why they were at least a top two finisher, uh, a top two favorite for the Big West for this season. So I think if they stay consistent, if they stay a little bit healthier, as you know, we're already starting to deal with a little bit of an injury bug here for the Rainbow Warriors. If we could stay on course, I feel really great about this season for Aranganat. Somebody texted in about this team saying, uh, Aloha, Hawaii doing well. What team is the best team in the conference? Well, I'd like to put Hawaii up there. Uh, Irvine has been a preseason favorite for a while, if not the top team, the second best. And Hawaii was picked second 
this year in the poll. The women were picked first, of course. I would think you'd have to go with Irvine and Santa Barbara. But the thing about the Big West, the top half, you have about four or five teams that are going to be in contention. Fullerton was the conference tournament champions last year. They went down last night. And then you also have Long Beach State. Uh, both teams that were in the championship game last year both struggled yesterday, at least in their first game. It's a long season. you got to win the home games. I know it's a cliche to use, but it is important. Uh, you, you're playing for seeding. You're hoping also if you get that regular season title, and that's one of the things Hawaii was in contention with last year, the regular season title gives you at least an NIT bid or berth automatically if you don't win the conference tournament. That'd be nice to have as like a consolation prize for any team that wins the Big West. I still think it'll be up for grabs. A true test will be when they're on the road. Uh, at home, you're expected to win, as I said. Home, and it'll, I mean, on the road, it'll start next week with UC San Diego and Cal State Fullerton. UC San Diego last night beat Long Beach State on the road in overtime, 85-83. Fullerton lost at home to Santa Barbara, 66-58. Again, I think I would I would look at Santa Barbara and Irvine first and foremost in the Big West as far as some of the top teams. But you know that Fullerton and Long Beach State never seem to go away quietly. They're always going to be in the mix. And, of course, as we talk about conference play for Big West, I don't think – it's always the greatest thing to always remind yourself about the dumb transition rules – that comes with the NCAA yes. and UC San Diego. UC San Diego had an amazing win last night, and it doesn't matter. It matters a little, but you're right. It slightly talk, matters. Well, the game's it matters the more standing. than last year. Yeah, it matters more than last year. That's for sure. It's, That's for sure. Th- them not being able to participate in the postseason is absolutely ludicrous. Uh to use words that I'm allowed to use on live radio. I want to um, hear the others. I, I can say it off the air. Okay. But um, I think it's it's just plain old dumb. I think there was another – I can't remember the team last season. Uh, it was another It was another mid-major team that had won their conference. Was that Bellarmine? It could have been. I'm trying to think it was like the Big South. Or I think it was Bellarmine because they also had a huge win this year in their non-conference schedule, and they were complaining about pretty much the same thing. Like, Bellarmine is a good team, yet and they've, and they've won their conference, yet they can't even say that they've won their conference because they won the guy who the guys who were third place, I think, technically said that they were the winners of their conference. It makes no sense, and it just shows, you know, hey, we could keep on complaining about the exact same thing every single year about the NCAA, and it never gets old because it's great content. And, you know, it's just, it's dumb, it's stupid. Let UC San Diego participate, please, because as they as we saw from last year, they are not a bottom-tier team in the Big West. And but even if they are, and it's they, only it hurting them. It, it should, I don't understand. I used to think, and I don't know if this has anything to do with it, that you don't want to grant a new team that early access to go to the postseason, and that's why they're almost penalized. It's a transition period, and it's four years. Somehow the, it was lifted after two years that the games count in the standing, where last year they didn't. It was almost like playing somebody out of conference. 
which was bizarre. You can look at your record, but it doesn't count for those two games. So at least they count, but to have them count, but then you see, you see San Diego, like you said, they can win the regular season title and get nothing for it. I, I can almost understand or accept a year transition period, maybe two. Four years really makes no sense. I don't care what the explanation is. I don't think there's anything that can convince you and I that it is, it's the right move to have. And this is year three. Again, to have the games count, but they can't make postseason, it's not fair. And, again, I wonder if part of it is almost to say, well, you're, you're invited to our conference for any school, but we don't want you winning anything too early because, you know, we're, we've been here forever. you got to pay your dues. That And that, that's what it seems like to me. And I know there's more than that. It still seems like a really bad move, and I, I just always have despised that. And here's the thing. Not only for men's basketball does it suck, it sucks for women's basketball too. If you remember last season for the Rainbow Wahine, all, two of our losses were to San Diego. We struggled wow. against San Diego last year. And because of how their, the, all of these rules work for San Diego, we didn't need to worry about it at all. The one team that just we could not mm. figure out, because we played them three times last year, because one of them counted for an exhibition due to a, uh, I think it was a COVID issue with one of the teams. Right. I can't remember the team off the top of my head. But in those three games, we struggled hard against the Tritons. And guess what? It didn't matter because we didn't need to focus on them in the postseason because once we got to the postseason, they were out of sight, out of mind, and we won the Big West. So would that have been different last year if the Tritons were able to participate at least in the Big West women's side? It's just there's a lot of questions that we could keep bringing up of would this matter, why is this happening? We know why it's happening. The NCAA has just has all these rules that don't make sense, and when you bring it up to them, they're like, "Well, that's the rules." Dang. Yeah, I'd like to hear a further explanation on that because I've never liked that either, as I've said. And you know, for football, it makes maybe a little more sense because if you're an FCS school moving to FBS, it might be harder to really build, make, make longer—not too much harder, but that's part of it. Longer to really assemble a team that can physically match up with the D1 players. Although we've seen FCS schools that are pretty good. They just don't have the same amount of scholarship players. So some schools, that's the only difference. But all in all, we know the FBS has better teams than the FCS. So I can understand that a little bit. For basketball, I don't think that's the same case. If you're getting somebody from D2, for example, let's just say HPU or, you know, UH Hilo or Chaminade moved up to D1, they wouldn't be as competitive year one. But why, again, you're penalizing them. I, I just don't understand that I never have, and I guess we're going to have to move on with that because it could bother us the rest of the show or the rest of the year. We'll try to not let that happen. Well, if it's Our for the rest of the year, yeah. it's only for like two more I, days. That's, I know, that's what I'll say. That's kind of, kind of making a joke there. Uh, we'll have our third headline coming up in just a few minutes. It does involve Tua. Tango Vailoa. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk with Ohio State football beat writer Bill Rabanowitz and talk about the big game tomorrow against Georgia. We'll have basketball tickets to give away a little later also with the sports animals here on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN Honolulu. We are getting closer and closer to the college football playoff taking place tomorrow. Uh, the second game of the two semifinals will have Georgia and Ohio State. We're going to talk more Ohio State football as we are joined here on ESPN Honolulu by Ohio, Ohio State football beat writer for the Columbus Dispatch. Joining us via the Aloha Kia hotline, Bill Rabanowitz is joining us. Bill, great to have you on the show. And I was mentioning earlier, it doesn't seem like people are giving Ohio State 
much of a chance against Georgia. And I know in one of your recent articles you talk about this is the first time in quite a while Ohio State comes into this game as an underdog. Yeah, that's true. Last time was two years ago against Alabama in the national title game. And, uh, and, and that was that was for good reason. Alabama was a great, great team, and Ohio State was, was hit by COVID and injuries, and they really didn't have much of a chance in that game, and they got blown out. So uh, I, I don't think this is the same kind of game. I think Ohio State certainly can win this game. I mean, I did pick Georgia because I have to pick one team, and I think that if you look at it objectively, there's more reason to think Georgia will win than Ohio State, but I, I certainly don't think this is a game that Ohio State has no chance at. I looked at some of the numbers earlier, and it's amazing how close they are. In fact, in some categories, Georgia's, I mean, uh, Ohio State's offense is better than Georgia's offense, averaging over 44 points a game. Georgia, I think, in the 38, 39-point range. But Ohio State, at least on paper, matches up really well against Georgia. Yeah, Ohio State's, you know, arguably the most explosive offense in the country. You have a Heisman Trophy finalist in C.J. Stroud. You have Marvin Harris, who I think is the best receiver in, in college football. Uh, he's got a good offensive line. Uh, yeah, they've, they've got plenty of, of offensive weapons. And, and honestly, their defense played very well this year, except for having five big, big breakdowns against Michigan that cost them the game. So it's a much better defense than Ohio State had last year. Um, they picked a bad day to have a bad day against Michigan. And, and that's, you know, that almost cost them a playoff spot. But, but if the fact that Ohio State got in, even if it's the back door, I think it's given them motivation. I mean, this is a team that wants to redeem themselves. They want to show that they're not a soft team. I, don't, I never really thought they were soft. Um, but that's the perception nationally by some people. And I think this is going to be a terrific game. Is there pressure on Coach Ryan Day? And one of the reasons I asked that is because I know during or at least near the end of the Michigan game, I heard that there were chants of we want Urban or something to the effect of that. And, again, we know by Ohio State and Michigan's rivalry, you can be 11-1, and great season, but if you lose to the big school beating Ohio State or Michigan, your season is not as much of a success. Yeah, I didn't actually hear the Urban stuff. That's, you know, maybe a hurdle fan. Is there pressure on Ryan Day? Yeah, as much as there can be for a guy who's 45 and 5. I mean, think about that, 45 and 5. Um, but yes, when you lose to Michigan, especially back to back years, which hasn't happened in a long, long time, you're going to get critics. And, and some of them will go over the line, which some of them have. But I, you know, I don't think that Ryan Day's on the hot seat by any means. Uh, but yeah, they, that does has not set well with Ohio State fans. You know, Ryan Day's not from Ohio, he's from New Hampshire, and there's a, a portion of the fan base that thinks he doesn't get the rivalry. But uh, anyone who's in the program, you you just have to get the rivalry. I mean, it's just it's grained in the program, and there's no way. I don't think it came from Mars. If you're, uh, you know, three weeks into being in Ohio State, you understand the rivalry. We talked about some of the players on Ohio State and the numbers averaging over 44 points a game. Georgia's defense, best in the country. Ohio State's defense, not quite the same. But what do you think will give in that matchup? Can Ohio State, I don't know if they're going to score 44 points, but I wonder if they can score enough over that tough defense to make it a competitive game or a close game or result in a victory for the Buckeyes. Yeah, I, I think they can. I mean, look, LSU put up a lot of points in the yards against Georgia. Obviously, that was a little bit different circumstance. Georgia had a comfortable lead, just, you know, was kind of content to let LSU move more methodically down the field. But Ohio State, I think, is the best offense that Georgia's going to face. And without question, Georgia's the best defense Ohio State's going to face. Uh, you know, I think Georgia's a, a great team. I don't know that they're quite as good as they were last year. They, you know, they lost five guys 
first-round picks on their, off of their defense. You know, I think Stetson Bennett is a is a very good quarterback, but you know he's not necessarily an NFL caliber quarterback, or at least a high high pick. And so, you know, there are reasons to think that Ohio State can win this game. Uh, it's just that Ohio State hasn't put it together really for an entire game against a quality opponent all year. They struggled against Notre Dame until pulling away late. Mm. They were down in the fourth quarter against Penn State until they just turned it on and blew Penn State away and scored 28 points in about 10 minutes. Um, you know, and we saw what happened against Michigan. But I think Ohio State, at its best, can play with anybody in the country. The, the issue is, can they play for 60 minutes? We are talking Ohio State football. Bill Rabanowitz from the Ohio- uh, Columbus Dispatch joining us here on ESPN Honolulu via the Aloha Kia Hotline. Does C.J. Stroud have something to prove in this game? Does he need to prove anything with the season he's had? Well, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I don't think he feels the need to prove anything to critics because I think he feels like his body of work is, you know, speaks for itself. And, and to a large degree, it has. But, you know, and I think he's played well against Michigan. I don't think he's the reason they lost to Michigan. But the fact is, you know, when you are 0-2 as a starter against Michigan, that's, that is what it is. And so he could rewrite the, the narrative, at least among some people, if they were to beat Georgia, and especially if they were to win the national championship, and especially if they did it against Michigan. Um, so, you know, he's had a terrific career at Ohio State. Nobody would dispute that. The Michigan record is, is you know, the, the thing that some people will think about. But it's, just, it's not a one-man game. It's a 22-man game. And, you know, and so that's that's – kind of goes with the territory, you know, the, the oldest cliche in, in football is the quarterback gets too much credit when they win and too much blame when they lose, and there, there's truth to that. Um, but if C.J. Stroud wants to be known as the best quarterback in Ohio State history, which is, you know, you could make a case for that if he wins the national championship. That that's, I don't think that's motivation for him, but that could be a byproduct of this. I want to talk about some of the players that might be missing the game. I know you had tweeted earlier that Mayan Williams was at practice yesterday. It looks like keys ago. Uh, your thoughts on that and any other significant players that have either bowed out getting ready for the NFL draft or have suffered injuries lately? Yeah, there's nobody who's done that. Uh, we've known for a while that, that Travion Henderson, the running back, is, is out. He has foot surgery. And Justin Azuba obviously has really not played much this year. He's not going to play. Um Mayan Williams is, is definitely going to play, and Matt Jones, the right guard, is going to play, and he, he missed the Michigan game with a foot injury. He's battled that all year. He says he's healthier than he's ever been this year. So that's that's important because Jalen Carter is, is a beast inside, and Ohio State's guards and center uh, Luke Whipler have to play well. Um, no, I mean, I, they're, they're as healthy as they've been all year. Again, you know, that's the other thing. People forget or discount Ohio State – lost two of their top three playmakers, the, the ones they expect to have going into the year. Trevion Henderson had a huge freshman year. People thought he'd, he'd be among the best running backs in the country. He really wasn't because he was hurt all year. And Jackson Sintajigba, who you know, was, was going to be the best receiver in the country, has been a non-factor. And so for Ohio State to go 11-1 and and dominate every game, well, more or less, until until Michigan, you know, that's a, that says something about the program. You had also mentioned, I saw in one of your articles, uh, about a linebacker for Ohio State who's in the transfer portal, yet he's going to play in the playoff game. I find that pretty interesting, and I'm glad that he's playing. We've seen a number of players 
Now, they're not in playoff scenario necessarily, but they're leaving their teams before their bowl game because they're in the transfer portal. They've already announced their future school. So I find that really something that an Ohio State player is staying with the team during the playoffs. I find that you know, interesting and a positive note about the transfer portal. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Traja Mitchell, who was a captain last year, expected to kind of have a big role. Didn't really play some last year. Hasn't played much at all this year, he, partly because he's been injured, but Ohio State also uses a two-linebacker-based defense, and he was one of the odd men out. Uh, he's going to transfer, we, have, we think, to, to Florida, but they're allowing him to go on the trip. He's not going to play because that would burn his red shirt, which is what he needs to, to transfer. So he'll be there, and he's a respected guy. And, and even though he's you know not had the career that he wanted to at Ohio State, I talked to him for a little bit yesterday, and you know it's been a great experience for him. It just didn't work out in terms of football, and so nobody begrudges him coming along for the ride and, and providing mm. leadership. And and so yeah, um, but he's, no, he's not. He's not going to play in the game. Real Bill Rabanowitz joining us here from the Columbus Dispatch, talking Ohio State football on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 14.20 AM. I know, obviously, the focus is on tomorrow and the playoffs. What about their signing class? Some of the early signings from last week, any significant players they got? Yeah, they had a very good class, but it was in some ways disappointing because some of the guys they wanted at the very end, the five-star guys, did not go their way. One went to, to Georgia. Uh, and another went to Oregon. So they didn't finish with a flourish, but it still was a top-five class. Uh, great wide receivers. Look, it's Ohio State. They're always going to recruit well. Right. Uh, but NIL has complicated things. It's, you know, some schools, I think, are more willing to give kind of upfront money, or at least you know, the schools can't do it directly, but but you know how it works. It's yes. Indirectly, where the collectives and, you know, kind of essentially guarantee uh, players X if, you know, through their through their NIL, whatever. Um, and Ohio State is kind of sorting that out, I'll put it that way. Um, you know, trying to figure out the best way to, to do it. Uh, now, their basic philosophy is that if you have the kind of career at Ohio State, if you emerge as the player you think you are, you'll be richly rewarded through NIL here because Columbus is a big city. It's the 14th, 14th largest city in the country, which very few people know. Um, it's it's the big game in town. I mean, we have the Blue Jackets, the hockey team, but they're not very good. And, and Ohio State is <laughs> Ohio State dominates the sports landscape here. Um, if the Blue Jackets ever got good and stayed good, it might be you know it'd be different. I hope they do. But you know, right now it's 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 an Ohio State town, and so you can make plenty of coin through NIL if you establish yourself as a player. But I don't think Ohio State's quite ready uh, to kind of you know, essentially guarantee the upfront money. Well, it's going to be a fantastic game, the second of the semifinals, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl starting at 3 p.m. Hawaii time, 8 o'clock on the East Coast. Bill, thanks for talking Ohio State football. Should be a fun game, and uh, hopefully they'll make the championship game and pull an upset and shock many people, especially in SEC country. Thanks for joining us, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. All right, thank you so much. Bill Rabanowitz joining us here on ESPN Honolulu talking Ohio State football. We'll talk a little bit more about that coming up and the big we'll get your input and we'll go to the text line as well here on ESPN Honolulu. Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth here on ESPN Honolulu. And you know, we hear the music coming out of the break. Great job, Tanner, as usual. Which made me think, you know, the last couple of days, because Christmas was this past Sunday. And I know we're still in the holiday season, New Year's Eve, of course, tomorrow. But, And I, I'm, I'm not a Scrooge, 
don't at me on Twitter on this, but why are we still hearing so much Christmas music on the radio? Not here, but on other stations. You know, periodically I will listen to other stations, and I hear Christmas music, and I thought it's supposed to be over after here, Christmas. Here, I'll give you a lesson here, Gary. Okay. Um, so, you know the famous Christmas song, you know, The Twelve Days of Christmas? <laughs> yes. That actually starts on Christmas. The first day of Christmas is Christmas Day. And the 12 days of Christmas is the 12 days afterwards. So when people say Merry Christmas, if it's after Christmas, technically they're still celebrating the season. So technically that it's still Christmas right now. Is that your story and you're sticking to that? Well, you know, my dad is a priest of Christian faith. I'd like okay. to think that he has some kind of uh, ethos on this uh, subject a little bit. But we're not playing Christmas music. Yeah, because I don't want to listen to Christmas music anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's look, kind of look, my point. And I, I, I love worked, Christmas music. I worked music. in customer service for like a couple of years. I'm not, I'm, as soon as I can stop playing Christmas music, I'm glad. I'm like, okay, let's get back to regular music. Because I remember my days working at, at a coffee place, working at another restaurant just having to listen to Christmas music, the same couple of songs every single day. Right. And then here, having to listen to the same Christmas songs whole on, on, on a cycle, man. <laughs> I love them. I mean, I mean, I don't think there's a bad Christmas song, and it usually starts right on... There's a on, couple for me. Well, okay, but, but generally, <laughs> they're, they're uplifting. You know, it shows you what time of the year it is, if you needed a, a, a reminder. Uh, and it usually starts at Thanksgiving. Sometimes it starts a little before. But and maybe it's just because it's fresh in my memory. I don't remember so many Christmas songs being played after Christmas. Now, the 12 Days of Christmas gives you kind of an out or a loophole. That's fine. But I am I am a little I mean, surprised. that out or a loophole. That's I know, just, I'm just joking. That's just the truth and but everybody's sorry not if doing you can't it. handle the truth gary i can handle it i'm just curious <laughs> because again not everybody's doing it if everybody was doing it it'd be different but uh, I, it seems to me i don't know if it's half the stations or not but you do hear and one of the songs that i really love i heard a little bit too much of this year and partly because it was done by so many different artists and that's last christmas uh, I love the song. It's a great song. I saw the movie last Christmas, which it, which isn't based on the song, but the song fits in well. But it just seems like that's played over and over. And again, a lot of different people besides George Michael who came out with it originally. And it's a good song, but uh, hearing so many versions of it, that was probably the song I heard more versions of than any other Christmas song this year. No, that's fun. I'm just glad to never hear them for another year now. Yeah, I mean, it just makes it even more special when it starts only at a special time of the year. If you heard it all year round, it wouldn't be that special come December. So I just thought I'd throw that out there. Hey, while we got a few minutes, let's be in the giving mood since it's still part of the 12 days of Christmas. Good segue there, hopefully. Uh, we've got a pair of UH Rainbow Warrior basketball tickets to give you. Just be the second caller at 808-296-1420, and we will give those tickets to you as for tomorrow night's game against Cal Poly, and I shouldn't say tomorrow night, because it's a 5 p.m. start. And it's smart to do that on Christmas Eve, of course, uh, Christmas, New Year's Eve, and you'll get an early start to get, you know, you'll be done by 7 o'clock. And we had a big crowd last night, the biggest crowd of the season with 4,000. And I was hopeful for that, but not overly optimistic, because I've seen how crowds can be around holiday time, and 
there's no excuse. I, I think they should have really big crowds all year long. But to have the biggest crowd on a Thursday night was great. Hopefully we'll continue to have the biggest crowd of the season, game in and game out. Because now that we're in conference play, as if anybody needed a reminder, the games go by quickly. Now we only have nine home games left. So when you have the whole season in front of you, there's a lot of games to choose from. It'll be over before you know it. And also the fact that we're in conference, you go on the road every other week. So it's not going to be where you have one home, one road game like UNLV in two months. Now it's every other week. So after Saturday's game against Cal Poly, uh, they will not be at home again until January 14th. So a couple of weeks fits in. That'll be against Long Beach State. They do have a couple of Monday games this year. Uh, for the holidays, Martin Luther King Day on Monday, let me get the exact date, Monday the 16th of January, it'll be CSUN at home at 5 p.m. And then on President's Day, back in uh, later on in February, they will do the same thing, and that will be on Febu- uh, February 20th of uh, Monday. Now, that'll be a road game. I shouldn't say they're both at home. That'll be a road game. They'll be at Cal State Bakersfield. But uh, they're doing that. You know, it's a little bit different having a game on Monday. I don't recall ever having a conference game on Monday. Usually Thursday, Saturday, but with the automatic teams, you have to have an extra game or a different day of a game uh, besides the Thursday, Saturday. Last year, I think it was Tuesday, where a lot of school. well, every school would play on a Tuesday. The schools that would play on Tuesday would play Hawaii later on that week. Uh, so look forward to uh, hopefully another win tomorrow and getting off to a 2-0 and start before they hit the road. But an exciting game last night. It sure was, wasn't it, Tanner? Tanner is obviously very, very excited about this. And uh, let's get to a couple of texts uh, here at 808-296-1420. Uh, somebody is texting in, Merry Christmas, Chris. Okay, I'm not sure if that's supposed to be a little bit of a joke or anything else, but talking about how it's after Christmas, it's okay to say Merry Christmas, although I think that and Happy New Year, and I brought that up over the years, you should stop saying Happy New Year maybe by after the first week of January. And I know Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm had a big thing about that a few years ago, and I, I couldn't be in more agreement there. But thank you for the text. Let's get see if there's anything else up here. And my text line is closing up. I mean, we'll get a couple more texts coming up. Uh, hopefully we'll have a winner, and we'll announce that in just a minute. And it's Brian from Honolulu. You have won two tickets for UA Rainbow Warrior Basketball tomorrow against Cal Poly. And if you weren't able to win this time, well, we will have more tickets to give away a little bit later in the 8 o'clock hour. Here's another text on this. It says, I'm cool and prefer Christmas music through New Year's Eve. I don't want it to start at Thanksgiving and wish it would be played throughout the month of December. I prefer this week because I'm finally off work and my kids are out of school. Okay, and that makes sense. And you know what? I'm not, I'm not against it. I just don't remember it being played. And I can understand if you're playing holiday music. And there is, I guess, somewhat of a difference. Some songs are specific for Christmas. Some are just, you know, for the holiday season. And New Year's Eve and New Year's Day is a holiday. So I guess that's only fitting. I guess I should say I hope on Monday or maybe Tuesday at the latest, a lot of people have off on Monday, including us, uh, we'll go back to the regular music. But that's what makes it more special when you only hear it during that month or so of December and maybe late uh, November. So just my takeaway on that. Uh, hey, I want to get to the story and spend enough time on it, but I promised you a third headline earlier. We didn't get to it yet, but it does involve uh, Tua Tango Bailoa. We'll get to that and more coming up next here on ESPN Honolulu. You're listening to The Bobby Curran Show. Last night I dreamt I was returning 
it would have been almost not really fitting, but if Tanner would have came back with the song last Christmas after all that talk. But I love this song, of course, as well. Gary Dickman, Tanner Hayworth here. And before I get to a big story, I want to talk about Tua Tungavailoa. You know, we love our text line. We love our listeners. We thank you guys for being part of the show. And you guys are part of the show, guys and girls, of course. And I know, I mean, Tanner and I probably go through this like almost anybody else, that every now and then you send a text that is to the wrong person. I, I did that a couple of, like a week ago. Uh, but hopefully I don't do it too often. You don't want to really get yourself in trouble. And going back to Curb Your Enthusiasm reference, there was something called the Accidental Text, which was a great episode. Uh, we had a Hank yesterday who even was texting in about some of our topics, and then he had a text. I'm trying to pull it up here in just a second. But he really, then he sent another text saying, oops, wrong text, sent it to the wrong person. And some of the texts, you know, we try to read them all. And if some of them are repetitive with some of the other topics, then we might not. But we usually will try to get to every text that we can. But somebody texted in something a little earlier. I'm not going to read it. And it's more of a link to something that has nothing to do with anything sports-related that I can tell. And I'm not going to mention But I just wonder if that might have been one of those accidental texts as well. But thank you, everybody, for your text here. Okay, let's go to that story. And I want to keep talking about this because we've talked about Tua Tango-Vailoa a lot. And the concussion that he got again on Sunday, it's officially listed as his second concussion. Some of us believe there were three. Either way, he struggled through injury. And in the Star Advertiser this morning, the headline is, Tua has everyone guessing. Now, it's an Associated Press article, and it's basically interviewing Talia. Tango who is playing in the uh, Duke's Mayo Bowl in North Carolina right now. In fact, it's on ES, uh, CBS 1500 as we speak. We'll give you a scoring update on that in just a minute. But what gets to me about this article is Talia talking about Tua and said, uh, I'll read the quote. Everyone has their opinion. My brother, I know he works hard. I know he has a family now. I want my brother to be safe. But at the same time, I, same time, I know that he has a love and passion for football. I feel like he is going to make the right decision. Decision. The decision. It's. I mean, I know we have talked about maybe Tua will never play football. Maybe he should retire. Maybe he shouldn't. But the fact that Talia is even bringing that up makes me think, well, this is something they're really thinking about. And at first, I'm going to think or say, I don't want him to retire. That's for selfish reasons because I really enjoy him playing football. Of course, I want him to be healthy and not have to struggle later on in life. The fact that it's come to this point where Talia is even saying, you know, he's going to have to make a decision means it's something they're talking about already. I, in a perfect world, if there is such a thing, you know, he'll get better, he'll continue to play football, and this won't be anything he has to consider. That's a little scary to me. Again, maybe in a selfish way, just looking at the football part, that he's even contemplating that. I think the scary thing is we know what the game of football does, and we've seen the effects of – CTE, what the effects of a lot of this, you know, massive head trauma that a lot of these players go through. We've seen the, 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 all of the terrible stories, you know, of the last couple of years of a lot of these guys dealing with a lot of darkness in their lives because of it. I don't know what's going on with Tua. I'm not a doctor. I'm a guy who myself you know, stop playing football due to injuries, whether it be due to concussions, knee issues, and all that stuff. I want Tua to make a decision that he feels comfortable most making. If his decision is to keep on playing, then that's his decision, and he'll have to keep on continuing to 
you know, make like how everyone I think continues to contemplate whether or not they're going to retire or not. Because there are guys out there who will get a concussion, and they're out. Remember, uh, what was this in 2013 or 2012? The 49ers had this amazing linebacker, right. Chris Borland, right. his rookie year. And then his season finishes with a concussion, and he retires. Right. And that was it. That was all we ever heard for Chris Borland ever again. So I think Taulia, in this article, he also says something that's that makes me feel a little bit concerned for Tua. The quote was, I feel like every opportunity he has, he's going to try to play. I don't yeah. know. It's just go until the wheels fall off. And that statement makes me feel a little concerned for Tua just as another person, not even as, like, someone from Hawaii, not as, like, someone who, you know, we all have that connection to because he is from Hawaii and we all love him. We want him to succeed. But after all these concussions and hearing, I don't know, it's just go until the wheels fall off, that feels just a, like a pit in my stomach when I read that. Yeah, it really, again, you know, my my opinion, not my opinion, but my thoughts were, I guess, is that I would hope this would get better, he would get better, we wouldn't have to worry about it, or he wouldn't have to worry about it. And just have this part discussed by the family themselves, as opposed to just fans wondering from afar, really shows that how serious it is. And I, I don't want to compare this t- totally, but it made me think a little bit about Colt Brennan. Now, Colt Brennan, we don't know how many concussions he suffered in college, but we know he had the car accident. Either way, he did have CTE, and we know how it all ended. I'm not saying two is going down that road necessarily, but it makes you wonder when you go through these scenarios with so many concussions and head injuries, what could affect you later on in life. And for Colt, it wasn't much later. I mean, he died way too young. We're out of time this hour. Continue this uh, conversation a little bit later. We'll also have more tickets to give away. And Derek Lowe joining us next hour, talking UH Rainbow Warrior basketball. We'll get you caught up in traffic right now as well on ESPN Honolulu. Hard to believe that after all of these shows, this is our final, not only show, but final hour for 2022. Gary Dickman, Tanner Hayward, Chris on a couple of days vacation. will be back with us next week. Thank you guys for tuning in. 808-296-1420 is the number. We'll have a pair of Rainbow Warrior tickets to give out a little bit later in the show, probably after we talk with Derek Lowe, who will be joining us about uh, 17, 18 minutes from now, talking about last night's game. And let's start with that as the first headline, Tanner. Really impressive win for both the ladies and the men last night, uh, opening up Big West play. We had Bernardo da Silva on the fans' voice after the game, and he kind of echoed something I've been saying, and obviously people who follow the sport will know, but conference play, different animal. You throw out everything that happened before the conference play starts, because not that it's irrelevant or meaningless, it's not, especially last Sunday for UH, but conference play is what it's all about as far as the postseason, which is everybody's goal, and Hawaii came out and passed the first test, both for the men and the women last night i liked something that bernardo da silva did say last night he said yeah the diamond head is nice but we want more so yeah i think it's a it's a great um it's a great first step in the big west and 
you know, I think Hawaii's already, you know, has their first step because we do have more, more sec. <laughs> and I've used that reference a few times, but we want more, more sec. I guess is what you know. Everyone wants more, can... more sec. Yeah, I think especially... that, I think that's. I think that's. Uh, I think everyone can agree with that. Although I will say something that I did catch last night. Harry Rulyadef did not get a single minute last night. I noticed that as well. And before. so I think that I and then I mentioned that, and then Josh and Derek Lowe talked about that during the game, and I think it was a great um, thing to bring up. Because much like the Rainbow Wahine, you had mentioned the last hour how Deja Phillips and Olivia Davies don't get the start, but yet they are prominent. They have prominent roles as the game goes on. This Hawaii uh, men's basketball lineup, we have the ability to either play big, uh, big, a lot of big men with Harry Ruliadef, Moore, Sec, Bernardo Silva, all three having their own unique play styles. And also small ball, because we also saw the three-guard lineup make a return from last year. And a much smaller version, because there's no junior Madut, it was Justice Jackson, Javon McClanahan, and Noel Coleman. So I think it's going to be fun to see as the season progresses how much more creative we can get with these lineups as as certain problems arise with each team. Because we have that ability to kind of go hybrid on a lot of these guys. I'd like to ask Aron Gannon if he ever has plans. I'm not sure if he's been asked this previously about putting both big twin towers on the court at the same time, Bernardo da Silva and Morissette. It's all about having the Morissette, Bernardo da Silva, Harry Ruliadef, Kamaka Hepa, Samuta Avea lineup. <laughs> the, Go with five the, bigs. The ultra big lineup. Yeah, the ultra big lineup. And we talked about Morissette. I think Morissette wants more of Morissette on the court as well. But he, he's been a, a different player. And I think, as you mentioned a minute ago, that's why Harry Ruliadef didn't play. I was noting that last night as well. He didn't play – one of the two of the games in the Diamond Head didn't play a lot as well. And, again, it's not a knock on him. It's just that other guy emerged. I mean, we saw Justice Jackson. It surprised me in a way because he only played a little over four minutes on Sunday. Cody Williams came off the bench and played 12 and a half, I think, straight minutes in Sunday's game when no all got in foul trouble. Jovan in foul trouble as well in that first half. But then last night, Jackson, with the new haircut, played almost 27 minutes, 12 points, three rebounds. I thought he had an excellent game. And some of those baskets he made, really, really tough, important shots, a couple of big threes, some driving layups where he just had the perfect angle to get it over the big. He was really impressive last night, and that's what I think is the strength of this team or any team that wants to go far. You've got to have depth and balance. The balance may be not as much, because if you have a couple of go-to guys, you can go so you can go pretty far, but look at look at UC Davis. Their main guy is Elijah Pepper, and he had a very quiet 16 last night on seven of 21 shooting. He only had four points, I believe, at halftime. And so Hawaii took him out of the game. You didn't have anybody else that could really step up. And there was a couple of other guys that were scoring, but not nearly enough. Anigwe had 21 for them. He actually had a pretty good game for them. But I think with Hawaii, you've got four or five guys that can be the go-to guy, so to speak, on any given night. It wasn't Jovan McClanahan before last weekend. Now he's one of those guys. We know Samuta has emerged offensively. Now Bernardo, back-to-back impressive games offensively. We know what Kamaka Hepa can do. He had 30 against St. Francis three weeks ago. There's so many weapons. So if a guy like Noel Coleman, I don't want to even say he's had an off night, I think he's going to get defended so closely by teams that other guys are going to have to step up and Hawaii's taking advantage of that. They have other guys that are maybe left open, like a McClanahan with Noel is maybe doubled or just tight D on, and he's making a difference, and I love that about this team. And you know what's awesome about this team, too? Even if a player gets shut down on offense like Noel Coleman did, 
they are still really great on defense. Noel Coleman is. I mean, when you look at our regular starting lineup of Von McClanahan, Noel Coleman, Samuta, Kamaka, Bernardo, all five of those guys are good defenders. And Javon McClanahan has had a couple of really great possessions on defense, you know, despite his what? Was he 5'9", 5'10"? Maybe. 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 So he's had – he. I think – but I think uh, Javon McClanahan, probably one of our more underrated defensive guys because you don't really expect a guy who's that you know that short to be a great defender. I mean, that's always a huge knock on guys like an Isaiah Thomas, who was an amazing right. offensive threat, but just got dominated on uh, when he was playing defense. And Vaughn has proven that he can get in front of his guy and just kind of annoy him a little bit and make sure that they don't get a good shot up, no matter the height difference. I mean, unless it's a center and he's in the post, but, you know, that's a given. But yeah. there's a lot of really great defenders on this team so that even when they're getting shut down offensively, I still feel good about them being on the court. The last couple of games, I felt very comfortable with Bernardo Silva being back on the court. Want to know why? He's found his free throw shot again. And I think that's important because he has struggled from the free throw line. You mentioned earlier four for four last night. You mentioned defense. We talked earlier about 12 block shots for Hawaii, five of them by Bernardo da Silva. That was an unbelievable number, one off. It should be the all-time UH record. But how about this? Nine steals in the game. Nine steals, 12 block shots. And we've had Jerome DeRosier, he's the co-host on Countdown the Tip-Off with me, and he brought up a stat that if you're not listening to the Countdown the Tip-Off, you might not be aware, because I wasn't until a week ago. They have a stat they call kills, and it's not the volleyball term, but it's the same name, obviously. What they talk about, every time you stop a def uh, team's offense, when you're on defense, three consecutive possession, that's one kill. Three stops in a row equals one kill. The numbers have shown if they get six kills a game, they're going to win. And against SMU, they had exactly six killed. Last night, if I heard them after the game correctly, they had seven killed. Because I think now it's going to be where Jerome's going to tell me that after every game, and we'll do it again tomorrow uh, before, uh, before the tip-off on our Countdown the Tip-Off show. But it's interesting that that has resulted in wins. So their defense is really key. And I, I said this yesterday, I believe, as well, where you know, some teams might be outmatched offensively. You might have a guy that, you know, like Kevin Durant type or an Elijah Pepper guy who's really effective and a really good scorer. But your D And you might not be able to match up that way, so to speak. But your defense can make up for that. And there's nobody that should be a better defensive player than you or anybody on your team. Because that's what, To me, it's not like a natural God-given talent. If you're LeBron James, and as great as he is, part of it is that he's 6'8". That wasn't something he worked on. He worked on his strength. But, you know, you have some natural athletic ability. A lot of players do. But the defensive ability is not anything natural. You work at it. And you can make up for a lot of deficiencies by working on defense. And there's no excuse for that. There's no excuse for being a poor free throw shooter as well. So I love what Hawaii has done. Something they were pretty good at last year. And going in to maybe the diamond header game before that, they were averaging five and a half blocks a game, which is really big, 5.6 at one point. It was down to 3.8 going to last night, but again, 12 blocks in a game. Think about how many possessions they affected by Davis. Right, right there, that's 12. And then you throw in the nine steals, that's 21 possessions. Now, I, I don't remember. I think Davis got one or two of the uh, possessions back after a block shot, maybe. 
but it makes such a difference. And then if you're getting a block shot, you have less time on the shot clock when you get the ball back. It doesn't reset because it's a block shot. They didn't hit the rim. So the defense made up for so much last night, and I love that about this team. The work ethic, blue-collar work, however you want to label it, it really showed once again last night. And I think something underrated that not a lot of people talk about, those new white uniforms are very nice. <laughs> because <laughs> not a lot these, of people are talking about not them Not a lot of people talk about this. This is actually a different home white uniform. We have the home white uniforms from last year where it's that like small little Hawaii, you know, it's kind of there. The W kind of looks a little bit off. I like these new white uniforms that we started wearing this year. Thank you, Adidas, for right. slightly updating the jerseys there. Uh, I think it's, you know, it's always look good, feel good, play good. And, you know, also talking about looking good, playing good, Justice Jackson with the fresh cut, looking good, looking unfamiliar, looking out there as if, like, Derek Lowe shaved his beard a little bit. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe on Saturday we ask Derek maybe if he, you know, trims the beard a little bit. In, in to you know take part in the tradition with Justice Jackson you know cutting down his uh, dreads a little bit there. Doesn't it say something about a person when you have more hair on your chin than on top of your head? And I'm talking about you, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> but right, I mean, he I think he has more hair on his chin. And he rocks the look, man. He rocks. I whenever I get to see him and Josh on on the sideline, whenever Spectrum kind of peers over towards Iran, it's always fun to see them kind of interacting, trying to see what Josh is doing with his hands. You know, it's a lot of visual stuff you don't yeah. see when you're on radio. And it's on I've had a great so far, great season, I think, for Josh Pacheco and Derek Lowe. I think Derek's done a very great job, you know, getting more comfortable in this situation as he's grown you know more chemistry with josh you know out there yep <laughs> and i like you know when i hear him and iran after games and uh you know the last few games iran has come out where josh and Derek will interview him after the game the home game and Derek could just bring up so many interesting factors of the game that you know maybe the casual fan might not notice or might not think about as much but the way he breaks everything down with iran i think is really interesting and uh yeah he's a, he's a great addition we're glad to have him on in fact we'll have him on speaking of the devil uh we'll have him on in about six minutes he will be our final guest of the year and i'll let him know the pressure he is under it's like hitting a big free throw at the end of a game because you know people are going to remember the last guest of the year for a long time and no if, you know yeah i mean and if he if he struggled if you know he has a bad outing then people are going to remember that you got to come through with you know i don't know what the right term if he be, has but, a rough shooting night maybe he yeah. can get back with you know some you know some energy on defense you know get a couple rebounds you know tough it out a little bit there so hopefully we'll get uh, Derek on a good shooting night here yes yes please so he was saying last night before the game I was talking to him and I think Scott Robbs came over and said how on TV last week especially when Hawaii was playing Washington State they focused on him a lot I haven't watched that tape yet I've taped the game I haven't watched it yet but Derek said that he was getting text messages from people all around the country and he didn't look at him during the game, of course, because he's on the radio, but he didn't realize why they were texting him so much. And then he found out afterwards how they were having close-ups of him, and that made sense. Although there was one point in that Washington State game where I, I, I was sitting next to Derek for the diamond head, sitting on his right, right next to the UH bench, and I looked up on the scoreboard. There was a controversial call near the end of that game, and they had a close-up of Derek, and I happened to be in the camera, I guess, as well. And I guess I looked a little tired. And people have told me that I either look tired or upset. I'm neither. Well, I'm always tired. 
Uh, but I don't feel like I'm showing it. But for some reason, I, I've seen pictures of myself at games, and it does look that way. I, I got a text from Rick Pitino, who was watching the game. They were still here, obviously. I own a basketball, saying that he was watching me, and I looked very sleepy at the media table and having a good time with that. That 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 kind of embarrassed well, of me. Of course, you were sleepy. You were dealing with Rick Pitino all week. Well, yeah, but had the game. <laughs> they, they were they were playing in the morning all week, and then having the Hawaii games at night. But I mean, it, I love going to sporting events. But I again, maybe it was a long day, and I didn't feel sleepy necessarily. That woke me up, though, is what I told them. Yeah. Now I'm wide awake. Getting a text like that real makes me realize I look maybe a little ridiculous. So who knows? Uh, maybe you you were used in another uh, post game uh, scenario. How like what was it? He used used like. Oh, during a was it after Iona lost or something, and he used you as like a prop a little bit. Yeah, there was the, well, actually the game they won. They won their first game, and it was against Seattle University. They lost the first game, and he was very upset about the SMU loss. And in the locker room after the game, and during the timeouts and practices, one of the things he's been preaching was for the team to have their hands up on defense, hands up, hands up, like any coach will do. And he was pretty upset of the defensive effort. He told the team before the game, "You're not a good defensive team." And, you know, he pointed that out over and over again. So after the game, and he was happy about the win, they're in the locker room, and everybody's kind of sitting down waiting for his speech. And basically he says, Gary, come here. And I got a little closer, and I didn't know what he was going to say. He goes, I want you to do me a favor. If you can do me this favor, I'd appreciate it. It might be hard, but if you can do this, I'd appreciate it. And I'm still wondering what this is, that he pauses a little. He goes, I wonder if you can get me a psychiatrist for tonight. And again, he pauses, and I'm like, what did I do? And he said, I want you to see if you can get me a psychiatrist so they can tell this team to listen to put their arms up when I tell them how to play defense. And they started laughing, and then one of the players tried to get up. and Well, he was defending himself, how he was sticking his arm up and whatever. And Patino just was laughing and laughing. And there was a team meeting on Christmas Eve that I was at also where he was talking about that again, playing defense, listening to the coaches, you know, talking, communicating, hands up. And he said, you know, I, I've, I've been to seven Final Fours. I've coached the Knicks. I've coached the Celtics. And I'm arguing with a freshman player about putting his hands up on defense. I mean, who am I? And everybody started laughing. And he was right. It was a freshman player that was giving his take on how he was not really agreeing with Rick Pitino. But that, anyway, that was a fun I mean, experience. I mean, if there's a guy to listen to, it's probably Rick Pitino. I mean, his son probably had to deal with him a lot. And look where he's taking New Mexico. They're like one of the only undefeated teams left in the nation right now. Yeah, Richard and Pitino. Beat, and beat Rick yeah, the week and- before. Right. Somebody was telling him that his son Richard had a nice, uh, a little sarcastic comment after that win, and he he told some people that were listening, some coaches, well, he's always had, he's always been a Weisenheimer or something like that. He was kind of putting him down. He's always had a bad mouth, or I forget the exact words, but it, that was a great experience. I had a really good experience with them, and I'm having a great experience with UH basketball, having the success they are. Uh, when we come back, we will talk with Derek Lowe about UH basketball last night, and tomorrow we'll also have some basketball tickets to give out right after that as well. Hey. If you're looking for a great place to watch Monday night football, there's still some important games left, and, of course, the playoffs right around the corner. Dixie Grill in IAEA is the place to go. One of the things I love about any sports bar that I might go to to watch a game, I want to hear the announcers. I want to get the whole experience of if I was at home watching a game on TV, and that's one of the great features about Dixie Grill. They turn the volume up. And I can't say that about many other places. That, I think, is great. They've got big screen TVs. It's a great place to enjoy fantastic food. Their hamburgers are, to me, maybe the 
probably the best I've had on this island. They are fantastic. Every time I go there, I get the hamburger and the banana pudding for dessert. Uh, that is great. I know they're known, you know, put some south in your mouth, of course. They've got great southern food. I'll stick with the hamburger and banana pudding. I am happy to get the complimentary popcorn when you come in. Great, friendly service. And after Monday night football, you've got trivia night with uh, Geeks Who Drink. And it's been really successful. It's really fun. I've seen them in the past. And it's a really fun atmosphere. Great experience. You win some great prizes. So check out Dixie Grill in IAEA. And again, put some south in your mouth. Gary Dickman, Tanner Hayworth in the home stretch of 2022. Thank you, everybody, for listening today and all year long. And we are going to be joined now by our final guest of the year. There's so much pressure on this guest. People are going to go into New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and the following weeks and remember the last guest of the season. So it's almost like hitting a game-winning free throw as we are joined here on ESPN Honolulu, and he knows about free throws and pressure, and he is a color analyst on ESPN Honolulu broadcast for Hawaii men's basketball. Derek Lowe joining us via the Aloha Kia hotline. Derek, is that enough pressure on you now? Um, you didn't tell me that I was going to be the last uh, caller for the uh, for the year. Well, I mean, you're 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 a great basketball player. You're used to uh, you know going to the moments and facing things that are maybe a little a little adversity that you're not prepared for. Things can change just like that, and they have for basketball. And we were wondering, Tanner and I, a few minutes ago, because Justice Justice Jackson did a little bit different look last night, to say the least, with his short hair. Have you ever thought about maybe? shaving your beard a little bit oh yeah you know, uh you know i've grown to like it i think it's a part of me right now um you know i i can't i i really can't imagine if i shave my beard how how plain my face would look and so uh, so i'm staying away from that for right now well you're married right now correct uh, girlfriend. Girlfriend. Okay, so you don't really have to worry about, you know, impressing anybody. You can just let it grow and grow. There was a picture of you and Bobby Nash. I forget where I saw it. It was online or on Twitter or something last week from your high school days. And to be honest, I didn't even recognize you. And I watched you play throughout your high school career, and I didn't realize it was you at first until I saw the name below. That's how different you look from your high school days. I know. It looked like a young, skinny Derek, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, you're still skinny and you're still young, but without the beard and shorter, uh, you still have short hair now. It just looked uh, totally different. Well, enough on that. Let's talk about the game last night while we still have time. The first half was similar to some other games we have seen where Hawaii has struggled offensively and their opponent has. High teens, low 20 score at halftime, 23-22 with the score last night. That second half, I mean, I did not expect Hawaii to erupt with 49 second half point 23 of them by Jovan McClanahan yeah you know um first half uh and and Josh and I were talking about it and we kind of brought it up with coach Gannat on the post game but um the first half you know it took Hawaii a little bit to to adjust to what um you know to what Davis was was playing defensively you know how they were um really jamming up and icing the ball screens uh coach Gannat said you know, usually when you ice, right, you, you force the, the ball towards the sideline and you don't let them use the screen. But the, the help defense is kind of dropped back. But Davis brought their big up. So, like, there was really no driving room to drag the screen out. So the ball handler was just getting jammed up real high and with nowhere to go. So Coach Ganat did mention, like, you know, they messed up on that and they, it took a while for them to adjust. 
Um, the adjustment came after halftime where they started to move the ball, you know, get the ball towards the middle, get it swung to the other side, and kind of get the screener out of there to free up some space. And, you know, one thing that I will say about Hawaii and Coach Kanat, you know, they might not have the best first half, but when comes halftime, they, they get the adjustments loud and clear, and then they, they bring it, you know, out on the court, and then and they make the proper adjustments. So I think that's exactly what happened this game. One of the things I also noticed, Derek, with UC Davis, especially in the first maybe 10 minutes of the game, they were going pick and roll almost every possession, and it was working. You know, Hawaii would maybe double-team the ball handler in the paint, and then the big down low would cut to the basket, and they would get some easy layups or easy layup attempts, so to speak. But they were using that pretty much constantly in that first half, not as much in the second half, and I think that was partly due to Hawaii's defensive effort. Yeah, and, um, and you know, it was kind of a contrast of, of – of defenses, um, you know, where Davis was keeping Hawaii on the outside and towards the sideline, right? They didn't let Hawaii get to the middle for the first half. Um, On the other side, Hawaii kind of forces Davis to the middle. So so Davis was able to come off ball screens, get to the middle, get into the paint. And I think that's what was making it easy for them. You know, they got good looks. and, And then, but then, like I said, second half started to make the adjustments then you saw the defensive effort, the defensive pressure, the physicality on UH's side start to pick up, and then they started to turn defense to offense. You look at Hawaii with 12 block shots, 9 steals, and those were two numbers that are outstanding. 12 blocks was one off the all-time school record. The defense really showed up and made a difference in this game, and I thought Bernardo da Silva had a really impressive game, a double-double, not only the double-double with 12 and third, uh, 10 rebounds, 12 points, but five block shots. He is starting to become the player we had seen glimpses of his first couple of years, but from Sunday's second half and last night, we're seeing kind of a reborn, so to speak, Bernardo da Silva. Yeah, you know, he definitely has the ability to, to protect the rim and be that last line of defense uh, for UH. Um, last night, I think he just had his timing down really well. He did a good job of, of, of not fouling. You know, a lot of players, you know, they can get out of control when trying to go up for a block, but he did a good job of going straight up and, and getting a uh, ball on, 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 on his block attempts. But, um, yeah, I mean, he, he, he had a great game. Uh, most of the time, he kind of goes unnoticed because, you know, the last several games he's had to guard some prolific scorers and some some bigs in the paint, so it kind of took away from his offense. But you know, last night against Davis, he really did put together a nice uh, all-around game. Derek Lowe joining us here on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 14.20 AM. You'll hear Derek and Josh tomorrow at about 4.50 in the afternoon getting ready for the regular season game against Big, uh, Cal Poly Big West opponent Cal Poly to end the year of 2022, only the second game in conference play. Okay, Jovan McClanahan, 23 points last night, and one of the things I was wondering about going into the game was after the big game against SMU, the game winner, we've talked about it and celebrated it all week long and will continue probably for a while, is if he might have an off game. He just had that natural letdown sometimes after that. And the first half, it seemed like that might have been the case because he had no point, but also he had zero shot attempts. But again, 23 in the second half, how has he been able to elevate his game? And it wasn't just last night. It wasn't just Sunday against SMU. Even against Washington State, he had a career high for the uh, Division One of 17 points. Yeah, I mean, to, to echo what you just said, right, it was kind of looking like it was going to be a, a, a down game for him, right, with the first half. I mean, 
he just he he picked up two fouls, right? And then like clockwork, you know, when a player does that, you got to sit the bench, you know, for the for the rest of the half. But um, you know, something switched in the second half. You know, he came in, uh, you saw his intensity. Uh, he he picked it up on the defensive end. Um, you know, but the thing I can say about Jovan is, you know, he may not be the biggest. Uh, he may not be the quickest. He may not be the best shooter. But he is a competitor, and you can just see it in his play on the court. You can see it on his face. You know, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say one more player who I thought that has that kind of intensity that I saw, and that was that was Carl English back in the day. He just had that kind of you know that fire in his eyes, and I see the same thing in Jovan. So you know, I think that confidence in himself, you know, believing in himself, uh, gets him to do things on the court that you know that kind of surprise us a lot of the times. Noel Coleman has been the leading scorer for this team, and just like last year, teams are really keen on him defensively. And I don't want to say he had an off game. He did, well, you look at his numbers, 1 of 5 shooting, not that impressive, 0 for 2 on 3. But other guys have stepped up. Still, he had four steals, and I think that is impressive. What have you noticed about Noel Coleman, and would you think it's fair to say he's having an off game, or is it more teams really keen on him, and Hawaii has had other guys step up? Oh, yeah, I mean, for sure, teams are keying in on him. Noel Coleman is a is a dynamic scorer. I mean, you have to know where he's at at all times. You know, he's you got to find him in transition because he is a knockdown shooter and scorer. So he's number one priority for all teams coming into play UH. And you know, so he has a lot of pressure. But you know, the thing about Noel is it doesn't just stop on the offensive end. He he just because he's not shooting or or or, you know, not being efficient putting points on the board, he's, he's giving everything on the defensive end as well. You watch him on the defensive side, he's chasing, he's fighting over ball screens, he's guarding up, you know. So he's really putting forth effort on both ends of the floor. Um, and I, I think probably he had two of the biggest defensive stops uh, towards the end of the game last night, you know. So I thought that says a lot about his character and, and that he's, he's more than just a one-way player. One, I'm not sure if you're referring to this one play, but it was late in the game where I forget which card it was. It wasn't Pepper for UC David. They're just dribbling in the lane, and Noel just stripped him. I mean, it was like the guy almost. It wasn't like the guy handed it to him, but how did you not know? There, he just had that great anticipation, got his right handed there, and stole the ball almost at ease. And that was just so impressive to see. I was one of the many great plays for Noel Coleman. Well, hopefully, Hawaii can get that two and zero start in Big West play before they hit the road next week. Derek, thank you for joining us. I'm sure we'll look, uh, have more to look forward to tomorrow as Hawaii has Cal Poly a five p.m. start. We'll hear you and Josh right around four fifty for the game. Happy New Year! We'll see you tomorrow, and thanks for joining us, Derek. All right, Gary. I'll see you later. All right, thank you so much. Derek Lowe joining us via the Aloha Kia hotline on ESPN Honolulu at Aloha Kia. You know a guy. And, yeah, a really good game where other guys have stepped up. We've talked about it a lot this morning. And I I do have high hopes for this team. And I know you can say, well, it's early in conference play, of course. We don't want to keep repeating that for the next month or so. But I think the strength of this team is kind of what they had last year, a lot of depth. Now, last year they had injuries as well. Samuto is out before the season. Munoz is out right before the season opener. This year we lose Juan Munoz. 
Munoz as well. But you've seen guys like Justice Jackson step up. You've seen Beyon Riley, who wasn't a main factor last night, still did a really good job, though. Uh, he had three points. Uh, only one rebound, but he got fouled four times as well. And I just thought, again, with his two steals as well, doing another Beyond Riley type game and so many other weapons on this team. And now you got a, uh, a Bernardo da Silva stepping up, and you get a guy like Morissette adding valuable, meaningful minutes. Uh, this team is going to be tough to handle for a lot of Big West schools, and we like that. We also like giving out tickets, and that's what we're going to do right now. We'll take a break. If you would like to win two tickets for tomorrow night's game, and I said night even though it's 5 p.m. against Cal Poly, be caller number one. We want to reward the people who are quick with the dial, quick with the finger. 808-296-1420 will announce the winner next on ESPN Honolulu. We have got our final winner here on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN Honolulu. Herman from Honolulu was caller number one. He has won a pair of tickets for tomorrow late afternoon. Cal Poly coming in to play Hawaii 5 p.m. start. Congratulations. Of course, many giveaways coming up next year. We'll be off on Monday to celebrate New Year's Day like many people are. And Tuesday we will be back and hopefully better and bigger for 2023. Let's go to the phones right now at 808-296-1420. Mike. Mike is with us. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Hey, Happy New Year, Gary. Uh, happy New Year. Um, it's unfortunate that it, I don't understand why the college football playoffs are on New Year's Eve. Terrible freaking! It should be on New Year's Day. Well, but, it's a sad. Well, yeah. Well, I think. I, yeah. What is the reason for that? Do they, do they want to get more time off? Yeah, but people are having parties. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, I remember I the mean, first year they did it was on New Year's Eve. Was on New Year's Eve on a Saturday, and it was a bad night ratings. Right now, for here in Hawaii, it's not as bad because the games are at eleven and three. But if you're in the East right. Coast, those games are at four and at eight p.m. And I don't know how many people are watching TV on New Year's Eve, even though it's a big game as compared to any other day. Now, I guess this year you don't want to do it on New Year's Day because the thing called the NFL is going on. Right. Yeah, but uh, I'm with you there. They should work with the NFL and say, tell the NFL to play Saturday, and they switch it out. But Why anyway. would the NFL do that? But you think you always want to have it on a Saturday. There'll be more people watching on a Saturday. If you have it on New Year's Eve every year, and it's on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, well, that's not going to work. Now, Monday night for the championship may be a little different, and it's only one game. But I think if you're going to have a yeah. double header, you have to do it on a weekend. My, my wish would be the greatest present I have is if Ohio State and TCU are in that finals. I mean, for one, I mean, there's nothing better uh, um, than Michigan losing except Ohio State winning. That's the second, my second favorite. I don't care who's Michigan playing. Michigan could be playing the friggin' devil. I can't root for him. But anyways, um, I think Michigan's going to win, and I'm cautiously optimistic on this Buckeye team. Um, they've been hurt. People don't realize if you – a lot of people don't follow these teams, right? But ever since that break – they, their offense and defensive line's been hurt, and all their top three running backs are, were out most of the year. They got um, one of them back, Mayan Williams. You know, yeah. the top one is not back. Um, and, of course, um, Jackson Smith and Jigba, I mean, was their best receiver, and he, he hasn't played all year. And their second best, Abuka, right now, was hurt. Now they're all healthy. Who knows? The key is, if they keep Shroud upright, Ohio State's going to win. That's the key. Ohio State's offensive line is the key. They've got great left, uh, left and right tackles. Their interior is the if issue, and that Jalen Carter is a monster. But you know, you know, Georgia. Not 
uh, not one of their linemen have more than three sacks. Which is kind of unusual. You wouldn't think that, huh? Maybe I, I wouldn't think that necessarily, but I think I don't know if I've seen a better defense than Georgia's defense this year. And there's been a couple of well, games where they year. struggled a little bit, but well, this year I'm just saying that that's the thing. Ohio State does not have a good defense. Georgia does. Ohio State scores more points a game than Georgia, forty-four and a half to about thirty-eight and a half. A lot of their numbers are really close as far as passing yards, touchdowns. Inter- I mean, it's just incredible how close they are overall in offensive numbers. But the one number that matters, I think, again, is points per game, and that's where they have a big advantage. Right, but um, Ohio State's um, number eleven total defense. Where are they in rushing defense? I'm not sure what that is, but but where is Georgia's 51 in passing defense? Ohio State's rushing defense, and we saw that in the Michigan game. They they lived up to two, what, 75 and 85-yard touchdown runs in the fourth quarter of that game. And that was to a backup running back, technically. Those are – well, that's the best running back they had in the team, by the way. Well, the other guy was better, but he was hurt, Corum. No, no, I agree with you. He's not as talented as Edwards, though. Donovan Edwards was a top two or three pick draft. I mean, uh, running back in the country when he. Yeah, I would I just not really right to call I mean, him a backup, but he's not. He wasn't their number one running back three weeks earlier. No, no, but those are missed assignments. When you go seventy-five and eighty yards, those are missed assignments. Um, but that's part of the deal. Their defense has not. They've struggled defensively. I mean, that I think would be a I'm fair assessment. You. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that, but. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm not. I wouldn't bet the friggin' house on Ohio State. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a six and a half point uh, um, game, and Ohio State's basically playing. Uh, Georgia's playing a home game, so that's really basically three or four. A home home field advantage is like three points. See, I don't. So, I don't agree with that. I know the games in Atlanta. But still, the fact that teams, I mean, each team gets equal amount of tickets. You know Ohio State travels well. Now, Georgia might have an easier access because fans can drive there as opposed to flying there. To maybe, so maybe it's a lot easier to get there. But I, don't, I, I wonder about that. I, w- I would think, without knowing for sure, that the fan ratio would be 60-40 Georgia. I don't think it will be anything that much different. So I don't think I would call that a home field advantage in these games because, again, the ticket distribution is equal. The other thing is, it's indoor and it's a fast track. Those receivers for Ohio State, they got a couple another. Uh, even even though in Jigba, not a first, uh, not there. Uh, Ibuka and Harrison are top ten freaking talents in the draft. I was going to say, when were you going to mention Marvin Harrison? Yeah, best receiver yeah, in the country. He's your best. He's your best guy right there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, he's going to go against this Ringo kid, who was a five star, but he's had his issues. And Harrison's a big dude. He's not like his dad. He's six four. His dad was like six foot. So, and he runs patterns like his old man. But you know, um, it's all football from the time it started is up front. If Ohio State's offensive linemen, their and their left and right tackles are possible. I mean, Paris Johnson's a, a top ten talent, and then uh, Dewan Jones is six eight three sixty. He's going to be at least a first or second rounder. The interior guys is the issue. Their center and their two guards. Well, it's and, a good thing um, Georgia doesn't have an elite defensive tackle. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> hey, Mike, we got to run. Happy New Year. Good luck to Ohio State. I, I'll say this: I, I wouldn't be surprised if Ohio State wins. I'd, I'd be a little surprised, I guess. And I know Georgia is great, but I think Ohio State's being underrated a little bit, and they're the underdog for the first time in twenty-five games. I have a feeling there's going to be one upset tomorrow. 
we always think there's going to be blowouts, and I know Chris brings it up how many blowouts, and there have been in these playoffs so far. Uh, doesn't mean it's always going to be like this, and maybe it's part of me wanting an upset, but I would not be surprised at that. Hey, we're you gonna. Know, take, I, I, yeah, agree, go I agree with you. I think in tomorrow's bowl games, there should be an upset. Kentucky, two-and-a-half-point underdogs tomorrow in the Transperfect Music City Bowl. You never know. That could be a big upset. Who are they playing again? Iowa. Iowa. Oh, I think Kentucky would win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Iowa. That was just more me joking about your thing. Talk but about lack I'm of a, offense. I'm a big TCU guy. I think that's where the upset's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I think Georgia has it against Ohio State. Sorry, Mike. You know, yeah. I hope you don't take it personally. I'm with you on that. And Iowa, to me, had one of the worst offensive teams in the country. The first three games this year, I think they combined for like 21 points. And the one game where they scored like 9 or 11, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> it was like turnovers. It wasn't where the offense scored any touchdowns like the first game or two, and they were a mess. Yeah, but I, they turned it around. They got to 7-5 and five eventually. Yeah, I, just, I, just I mean, they almost, went to, they almost went to the Big Ten championship game. That's because the other division is a little was a, really down. I mean, when you look I at— mean, I mean, we can talk about the Big Ten West all day long, and I know everyone— in uh, who's listening is just waiting for us to talk about the Big Ten West. Well, we could, but and I mean Purdue in the championship game. I didn't expect that at the beginning of the season. Hey, let's take a break. When we come back to close out the show, I want to bring up a topic, and you guys can uh, chime in as well, either via text or call. Uh, who is the best athlete in the state this year? Could be a UH athlete, could be a high school athlete. Who impressed you the most? I think there's a lot to choose from, a real lot to choose from. And I'll give you a couple of my takes. I don't think I can just put one athlete down, but we'll get Tanner and my take and yours as well coming up next on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Welcome back to the uh, home stretch of this year. Thank you, everybody, all year long for being so supportive. I know Chris would echo those sentiments, and we are feeling really privileged to be able to do this show. We love the comments that we get. Even if you guys disagree with us, it's always been fun expressing our opinions. Okay, to close it out, uh, I mentioned this right before the break. Who is the best athlete? We have all these end-of-the-year lists, best sports story, best team. Do it locally. We do it nationally. There's so many answers and great answers for both. But here's a little bit different twist on that. Who do you think was the best athlete from the state of Hawaii in the year 2022? I, I pared it down to two. And I think, that, again, there's so many answers I could have. I'm going to go with Amy Atwell for women's basketball and what she meant to this team. Uh, winning the Big West regular season championship, the conference tournament, all her three-point and offensive record that she set, a fantastic player. I'm also going to go with volleyball, and I'm going to go with the All-American setter, Jakob Tella. Now, he wasn't the MVP of the Final Four, the, uh, the tournament that Hawaii won with their back-to-back championship. It was uh, Spiros Hakkas who won that. Still, Jakob Tello with a great game and just really impressed with his overall game. I could go on and on, but those two stand out to me. I know there's some great high school athletes, some pro athletes from Hawaii. Those are the two I came up with you. What about you, Tanner? Yeah, I'm going high school with this. I'm going with the Offensive Player of the Year for the uh, Division One OIA Liatama Uiliata, the wide receiver and quarterback for Waipahu. He had to fill in for uh, for Manu for Waipahu, and he did all he could to at least give Waipahu the chance against Konawaina. He went through that shoulder injury, that ankle injury in the HHSAA uh, Division One State Championships, and you know he does commit to the University of Hawaii. We won't see him right away. He is gray shirting. So I'm very excited. I w- I w- it was just an amazing performance to watch him 
in the Division One championships, and I can't wait to see him in another year when he suits up for the University of Hawaii. Yeah, I, I was actually thinking of him, and I didn't put a ton of thought into this, but I was thinking of him, and I never got to watch him play in person, but I've seen the highlights, hearing everything about him, and that is an excellent choice. And there's so many great choices. I think we're fortunate to have so many great athletes play at the University of Hawaii, the Division II schools, high school athletes, and so many sports just excelling on the high school and collegiate level, some of them on the pros as well. Well, that is going to be all the time we have. Artie Wilson with On Point. A lot more UH basketball talk is coming up next. We've got some bowl games this afternoon, of course, the national championship semifinals, at least, on CBS 1500. That's starting tomorrow morning. Kickoff for the first game at 11 a.m. Happy New Year, everybody. Hope to see you out at the Stan Sheriff Center tomorrow. Have a great night and New Year's Eve. Aloha.